What's up, everybody? Dave here. Just want to remind you that this episode of Tales from the Backlog is brought to you by the patrons of the Tube. Personal heroes of mine, such as Chris Nelson and the Top 3 Podcast crew, have gone to patreon.com slash realdavejackson to support the Tube, and they're getting some cool treats in return. You can be like them and head to patreon.com slash realdavejackson, and you will be my hero too. All right, let's get to the show. Everybody, my name is Dave Jackson, and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to talk about a game we played. My guest today is a friend of the show, host of the Unlockables podcast. Podcasting with this guy fills me with determination. Eric Guess <laughs> is back. Welcome back, man. Hey, Dave. I appreciate you having me back on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, when you reached out to me to do this episode specifically, I know we kind of talked about it, but I wasn't sure if I'd be uh, if we'd be doing it on your show or if we'd be appearing on Cooking with a Killer Robot, everyone's favorite <laughs> favorite local TV show. But uh, yeah. no, I'm I'm very happy to be back. Um, I'm very happy you asked me to be back, and uh, I it's it's good to talk to you again, man, for sure. Finally got you back stateside, so that is awesome. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're almost in the same time zone. So it's it's good to talk to you again. Um for those listening, if you didn't listen to the Metroid Dread episode of Tales from the Backlog, Eric was a guest on that one. And uh I've been on his show, The Unlockables, before. Uh so yeah, good to talk to you again. Today we're gonna be talking about Undertale which is an RPG developed and published by Toby Fox in 2015. Um, kind of special thing about Undertale is that outside of the artwork and character designs uh, that were done by uh, another person named Temi Cheng, um, Fox developed pretty much the entirety of this game by himself, including the script, the music, the story, all of that stuff. I think it's a pretty nice accomplishment, and that plays into a little bit of the elevator pitch so i would say this is like basically a one-man game that kind of toys around with uh, what you would expect from an rpg i think that's what i want to say in this quick little elevator ride does that sound right to you eric yeah that's pretty much what i took from it uh to me thinking about kind of what toby fox was trying to accomplish with this game in specific uh, specifically uh yeah it feels like it's very much designed to kind of subvert your expectations of those traditional uh, RPG norms that you'd come to expect. And uh, I think we'll talk a little bit about that once we get into like the gameplay and the story and stuff like that of how he went about doing that. Yeah, for sure. So the spoiler policy for this episode, I think this is one of those games that like sometimes people will say like the less you know about it, the better. And I don't know, I I half disagree with that, but also I do kind of appreciate how like I, I didn't know a whole lot about the game before I started playing. I knew that they're playing around with RPG tropes and stuff like that. But for this game, especially with the story, the story section is going to be very light in the non-spoiler section. And the spoiler section is going to be a lot of discussion about how this game changes as you play it and stuff like that. So we'll definitely keep those spoilers out of the non-spoiler section 
And as a result, it might be a kind of light non-spoiler part, which is kind of the opposite of how the show usually goes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Before we get into Undertale, though, Eric, I want to uh, have you tell my listeners, in case they don't know, tell them about Unlockables and what's going on over there, because it's a show that I listen to uh, basically day and date. First of all, thank you. I appreciate that, Dave, very much. Uh, your support keeps me going, definitely. But uh, the Unlockables <laughs> Fills you with podcast, determination. <laughs> it, it honestly does. It really does. And I'm sure that's probably not the first or last time that's going to be said on this show. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I uh, host the Unlockables podcast, which is uh, a solo effort by myself. And I bill it as uh, the story of video games, the people who play them, and the memories made along the way. And basically, my pitch for that is um, I like to refer to like one of my favorite like uh, reels or memes of all time where it's like a dog sitting in the sink and the voiceover for it says, everybody asks what the dog doing, but not how the dog doing. So for me, it's like <laughs> everybody asks what the gamer doing, but like not how are they doing or like what or like, you know, how, how have they been? So my whole thing is I bring people on the show to kind of talk about just um, if they're content creators like you yourself have been on to talk about your show and then to kind of talk about uh Growing up with video games, what were your uh, emotions? What were your memories of them growing up? Because uh, I discovered uh, having 20 plus episodes of the show now that, uh, you know, video games are unique amongst medium uh, that they're able to form like these visceral connections with people in their minds. Mm -hmm. And so people have come on and told uh, really, really touching stories about the impact of games on their life. And once a few people did that and I got like a handful of episodes in, I'm like, all right, this is my thing. This is what I'm really interested in pursuing. And uh, I always give people the option to come on and share as much as they want. Uh, you, you can answer my questions as vaguely or as in-depth as you want. Uh, but people have decided to come on and trust me and, and tell like really, really close personal stories. And I think that's been really great. So, uh, And then, too, sometimes I do solo episodes just to kind of talk about things that are really important to me. Uh, I just did kind of a weird uh, Super Mario World episode about the first game I ever played. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll talk about industry stuff sometimes, too. So just kind of whatever is happening happening uh at the time so that's that's kind of my show uh, if you're into that kind of stuff here and other people talk or, or find out what's going on uh, yeah if you stop by and give a listen say hi uh tweet at me uh and i'll talk to you about whatever you want to talk about yeah it's uh it's a good show number one because i do love hearing people's stories about like you know what got them into gaming what gaming has meant to them throughout the years and stuff like that so i really enjoy that kind of stuff and you know, you, you mentioned sometimes you do other episodes. So if there's like a really pressing thing happening in gaming news or something like that, then you'll chime in on that. And I, I appreciate your insight on that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. you didn't mention it, but I will. If people like Kingdom Hearts, uh, <laughs> the Unlockables is going to be the place for you where Eric is going to definitively, for the first time, definitively unravel <laughs> and untangle and uh, piece together the continuing story of the Kingdom Hearts saga. <laughs> uh, not for the first time, but uh, it, it might be, when I'm done with it, the longest uh, series hours-wise on, on that series of games. Uh, but yeah, that's <laughs> anybody that listens to my show or, or heard me before on, on your show or other shows knows that I love that series. Uh, also very weird that like I'm the Hearts guy and this game happens to... like have a heart mechanic in it where it's like your mm -hmm. heart is your soul. I don't know. Maybe I'm just that guy. I don't know. But yeah, uh, yeah we're doing uh, Guiding Keys, the story of Kingdom Hearts. And uh, I have episode zero, a primer on kind of the general Kingdom Hearts universe out. And then uh, I wanted episode one to be out end of this month. Uh, it's probably going to be more like end of next month just because life got in the way. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's shaping up to be uh, just like a sneak preview. I'm 
halfway through my KH1 playthrough and I have like 18 pages of notes <laughs> that I'm going to have to like cut down. So uh, yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be, if, if I like retire from podcasting after finishing that series, I think, I don't think anybody would blame me. So <laughs> no. <laughs> So I listened to that episode zero and I've never played Kingdom Hearts. I've never, I don't know anything about what's going on in there. And I enjoy it in the way that I would all, I would enjoy just the ramblings of a lunatic uh, madman, <laughs> just making up stuff as you go. You could have made that whole thing up. And I was like, yeah, uh, that sounds all right. Sounds good to me. So I enjoyed I'm, that. If <laughs> I'm like literally that guy on the corner who's holding up the sign that says like the end is nigh and just like yelling at people. Yeah. So <laughs> But in podcast form about Kingdom Yes, exactly. So (laughs) yeah, big recommendation for the Unlockables. Uh, If you're a Kingdom Hearts fan or if you just like hearing people tell their stories about, you know, a lifetime of gaming and stuff like that. Big recommendation. Thank you. I appreciate that. Of course, man. So let's, uh, let's get into talking about Undertale and we'll start with our histories with Undertale. What made us want to play it? And I think you have a more extensive history with it than I do. So guest always goes first anyway. What uh, what brought you to Undertale? What made you want to play it? Well, I think like a lot of us in the year of 2015, the year of our Lord, uh, the middle of that decade, uh, this really kind of came out of nowhere if you weren't paying attention and kind of took the world by storm when that game came out. I just remember uh, it wasn't on my radar at all. I know it was like a kickstarted game and Back then, that kind of seems like the height of like the crowdfunded Kickstarter thing before a bunch of people got ripped off. People just stole money and now people don't really do that anymore. (laughs) Uh, I might might not be generalizing there, but uh, yeah, this game came out and I didn't know anything about it. I just started seeing these. It it flooded social media. It was everywhere. I started seeing these videos and tweets and posts about this weird skeleton guy in a hoodie and this weird pixel game. and, And I was just like what is this? Like how the, people were just going nuts over it. I can't remember a, a time since then that something like this has just kind of come out of nowhere and just taken over the conversation. Mm-hmm. So um, back then I just was like, I have to know what this is about. And I ended up watching like some videos and listening to the music, but I didn't actually play the game. So I knew more about this game through just the the culture and, and the fervor around it than I did actually from playing it. And I listened to the songs, not even having played the game because the soundtrack is actually pretty good. And, um, so it wasn't until like two years ago when the game was on sale and I was just like, you know, everybody's just like, yeah, I got to play Undertale, got to play Undertale. And I'm like, all right, it's on sale. Like, I don't have an excuse. Let's just buy it and check it out. And um, I really think and I think that was kind of my pitch to you when we were talking about what games we wanted to do on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you and I, I feel like are kind of positioned uniquely to talk about this game because we, we've played it, you know, six, seven years after the initial release and after the kind of the initial fervor happened and all that stuff. So I think we... I think this will be a good episode because I think we'll have a lot of uh, interesting takes on it. So, uh, but yeah, I picked it up last year, played it, uh, did a neutral run, a passive run and a genocide run and, uh, you know, kind of left it at that and then did a couple more runs uh, last month for it to just be refreshed for the show. And yeah, it, it's weird that I experienced this game first and foremost, like secondhand and then went back and played it. I, I really wonder what my experience would have been like if I would have like played it at the time. Uh, because as we'll go through it, it, it feels really much like a time capsule of that specific era. And I think mm-hmm. that'll be interesting to talk about, but that's just a little bit about my experience. Yeah. Yeah. So this game came out in, I just looked it up in September of 2015. Mm. And that was just a few months after I had moved to Korea. And I was like, I, I don't think I played any video games during this time. And I was like, interesting. Not, 
disconnected from everything, but I was disconnected from a lot of stuff. Like I was just very much like getting my footing in Korea, you know, socializing, hanging out, traveling a bunch, wasn't really playing games or paying attention to games at all. So I never heard of Undertale until like 2018, something like that. Someone brought it up and I was like, nope, no idea. What's that? So I missed like the whole hype, hate, pushback, rehype, rehate the cycle (laughs) of like popular games. I missed like the first two full cycles of that (laughs) for this game. So when I started to get interested in it, I heard people, you know, mentioning it as, you know, one of the best RPGs of all time. When I bought a Switch for the first time in 2018, it was like best Switch games, Undertale's on there, play Undertale, stuff like that. But I don't know, for some reason, it never like grabbed my attention. I just like knew people loved it. And I was like, no, maybe I'll play that sometime, you know? So I feel like I was able to go into this pretty fresh. Like I knew the pacifist genocide, et cetera, et cetera, thing about the game before I played it, but it didn't really affect my enjoyment of it. I guess I, I suppose if it was like way, way back in the day and you just played the game you had no idea about that i think that would catch you by surprise so it didn't but it's mostly like the reputation that made me want to play and yeah so that's my history with it um if you're wondering how long undertale is i think a full playthrough takes about five hours um my play clock says about uh 10 hours and i've played through the game two full times so so that's uh sounds right to me. I think maybe one of the ways you can play would take longer because it's more difficult. I'm not sure. Yeah, that that does sound about right. If you're doing uh, maybe a little bit longer, if you're trying to do like a neutral pacifist and uh, a no mercy run, uh, I think if maybe if we throw the word genocide around too much, that Apple Podcast <laughs> will will target the episode. You know, but um, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, and that really was the thing, the the big thing that everyone raved about this game was like, uh, you know, you have choices and the game kind of remembers your choices and you get different endings depending on, you know, how uh, passively or aggressively you decide to, to play the game. That was mm-hmm. like the main thing that I that I really knew about uh, in addition to kind of all these wacky characters in the music. So, um, but yeah, I, if, I imagine if you're doing like tons and tons and tons of runs of this game and you know like what to do, you probably get through it pretty quickly uh mm-hmm. i rewatched a genocide run that clocked in in about like two and a half hours which is which is pretty quick yeah. so um yeah it, it's it's about a five six hour experience your first time through uh, depending mm-hmm. on how much you're willing to like experiment and, and and explore i'm glad you mentioned the music because that was also part of what made me want to play the game because mm-hmm. uh one of my favorite like if I'm working or something, one of my favorite things on YouTube are people who do like heavy metal guitar covers of video game music. Oh yeah. And there is some excellent (laughs) like undertale music in that style out there. So I've heard a lot of the music before I played the game and I obviously loved it. We'll talk about the music later, but that was Mm -hmm. another thing that made me want to play. Yep. I, and I, yeah, I love all those too. Those are great. And this game has remixes on top of remixes on top of remixes. Mm-hmm. So if you love the soundtrack, there's no shortage of stuff you can go find. Yeah, for sure. So to give a little bit of opening thoughts um, about Undertale, um, I think for myself personally, removed from the kind of, you know how like when there's like a seminal video game that like gets a bunch of people together, like Elden Ring was earlier this year, um, I think you can 
get not like swept up in it and like lose critical focus if that's even your goal but like mm-hmm. there is some there is a little bit of like added uh special quality when you are experiencing something like that with a bunch of other people and since i didn't have that i i like this game i don't love it um the things that make it special were very hit and miss for me i enjoyed the um the choices that you can make and i enjoy the like mechanical ways that choices are handled in the game i didn't love the characters i didn't always love the writing i did always love the music so it's a very hit and miss game that i i like don't love don't think i'll ever play again but i am glad that i did experience it it's one of those how about you yeah i agree and i kind of tell people um you know having played this game just i was exposed to the hype wave so i just was for seven or eight years, I've been nothing but bombarded about like how good this game is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, and the story I always tell is uh, in, in 2017, I got to go to uh, LA and, and visit E3 when that was still a thing, which is very cool. And uh, one of the things you do in LA, if you make a pilgrimage there, is you go eat it in and out, right? You, it's, right? You have to. You just hear about how legendary in and out is. So, um, you know, we went to in and out and had food and I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was spectacular. I think it was just so overhyped that nothing that I got from In-N-Out could have possibly lived up to my expectations. And in a weird way, that kind of correlates to my experience with Undertale. It was so hyped up and I knew so much about the hype when I played it. There's just I didn't know what to expect going in, but I just knew like in my heart that there was no way it could possibly live up to like what the bar had been set for it. And uh, like, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I, I really enjoyed this game. And I think uh, Toby Fox did a fantastic job of telling the story he wanted to tell. And obviously his entire thing is he wanted to subvert people's expectations. And I feel like he accomplished that certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was just like when I finished playing it, it wasn't like this transformative enlightening experience that I thought it would be uh, when I played it. It was just kind of like, oh, this is like a really good game. And I really enjoyed this. And uh, yeah, like you, I don't know if I'd ever go back and play it again. You know, maybe a couple of years down the road, do a run, just kind of see. Um, but yeah, I, I was kind of in the same boat as, as you were. And I feel like, too, it's a game that's really much a, a product of its time as well. Uh, I kind of refer to uh, I kind of put it in the same camp as like Borderlands 2. Whereas like when you go back and play Borderlands 2, some of the like, humor and things that happen in that game are very much a product of like when that game came out. And it's just kind uh-huh. of now you're. Like looking back, you're just kind of like, ooh, that's a little, uh, you know, cringy. <laughs> um, but at the time, you know, in 2015, just kind of the way that game was written and all the humor and stuff, I can be like, oh, yeah, like at the time, uh, internet fandom was just starting to like explode and like really be heavy into social media and stuff. And mm-hmm. this game kind of, kind of reflects the way the humor was. I think a lot more of us were uh, a little more optimistic too about the future. <laughs> uh, and, you know, after 2015, 2016, and we won't get political or anything. And, uh, Obviously, about other stuff, I think it's we've gotten a little more uh, ground down by just some of the cynicism of life. So, uh. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I can totally agree with that. So let's uh, take a little music break and we'll get into kind of what the story is. Talk about the characters a little bit. So 
so in Undertale, the opening cinematic uh, kind of gives you the backstory of what's going on in this world. Um, in the past, there was a war between humans and monsters. Uh, the humans won, and the monsters were relegated to living in this world under the surface of the earth. Your character is walking around outside, falls through a hole into this underground world, and needs to find a way out. Um, and that's all I really want to say about the story. You you meet the monsters that live um, underground, and it yeah, I, I don't think I want to say much about the story other than that, except uh, if you're playing it, it asks you to name your character. Highly recommend using your own name. This is not a game to write in fart for your name or something mm. like that. Like it, I think uh, what the story is trying to do will work the best if you put your own name in there. So yeah. How do you feel about the story, uh, the characters that you meet? Um, stuff like that without, you know, obviously we can't say too much here. This is a game that is best left a story that's best left, like pretty much totally unspoiled. Yeah. And that's going to be, I'm going to try and kind of talk about, <laughs> uh, just kind of talk around it because pretty much anything you say about any of the characters is really integral with, with the story. But, uh, I think in terms of like establishing that initial lore, which you kind of learn about a little bit later in the game, they kind of tell you initially what happened, but you learn about like that human monster war and like, um, you know, humans have souls and monsters have souls and that kind of all plays into it, which we'll touch on again in, in more spoiler stuff. But mm -hmm. um, I think uh, it does a surprisingly good job of establishing its world and kind of telling you like the state of the world, uh, considering it's only like, you know, five or six hour playthrough, you know, I got all the information where I didn't feel like I was like left asking any questions mm -hmm. at the end of the game. I was kind of like, oh, like this is the state of the world and this is why things are like I wasn't you know, coming from the Kingdom Hearts side where it's like any question you pick at just goes into a a, a wellspring of more questions. Uh -huh. um, pretty much the questions you have in this game are, are, are uh, pretty adequately answered. And yeah. uh, there's even a lot of stuff, too, where uh, in my perusings of the YouTube uh, wormhole that uh, there's a lot of deep hidden lore that if you really take the time to look at uh, is, is hidden in there. And, and it's got a very robust community on YouTube for like fan videos, theories, and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But um, yeah, I, I like the way the, the story was set up. It was delivered very concisely. I felt like pretty much everything served a purpose. Um, there were some character interactions and stuff that I didn't really enjoy. Uh, some stuff that was just kind of annoying. Like I said, mm -hmm. it was kind of a product of its time. And you're just kind of like, eh, this is kind of cringy or this is kind of annoying, these things that they're doing. But, um, you know, all the characters have pretty good personality, uh, and I really do have a surprising depth to them, again, besides the fact that it's a six-hour game. You know, yeah. you get to spend a little bit of time with each character and actually discover their initial kind of front that they're showing you, their personality. Uh, you know, that's there's more to it than meets the eye. And I, I think we'll get, we'll touch on that, too, in the, in the spoiler section. But uh, again, uh, Undertale, like I'll say it a few times this episode, is about subverting your expectations. And uh, that's a major theme with all the characters, whereas like the character you first meet isn't necessarily indicative of who they are. So. Uh -huh. With that being said, though, I think you made a good point that this is a game that like it will open up a couple of like threads of lore or like questions that you might have. And it I think it closes pretty much all of them in a pretty mm -hmm. satisfying way. And so by the end, I think you do have a pretty like complete picture of who these characters are, what their role is in this world what their role is like in relation to you, depending on what you're doing. And especially for one person, 
I guess it's, I may reference this like throughout the episode that like, this is the work of mostly one person. So Mm -hmm. things that are like really complete, really, really well done, feels a bit more impressive when it is just one person behind it. But um, the characters were pretty hit and miss for me. Like the characters all have like very defined uh, personalities. Like some of them are super goofy. Some of them are like pretty serious. So one, you know, the first character you meet is like a very motherly figure written really, really well in that way. The design uh, for Toriel, that's her, her name. Mm-hmm. The design is is very warm and welcoming and loving. And it's just, it's really, um, that continues throughout the game with most of the characters that you meet, especially the big side characters that you meet. So while I didn't love all the characters, I think they're all really well uh, defined and they they fit perfectly into this little story that's being told. So this is a game that uh, we said both of us have played it more than one time. And I, just something I want to mention is that this game does benefit from replaying it. And unlike, let's say, uh, Spec Ops The Line, which was an episode uh, just a few weeks ago, that's a game where you should replay it, but the game like doesn't tell you to replay it. Undertale will give you hints about like, yeah, you should play this again, maybe do it a little bit differently this time. Um, and if you follow the directions that they give you, your experience will be different and will be different in a way that I think is pretty cool. Now I'll talk more about that in the spoiler section, like my experiences with that. It wasn't all roses, but I do think that it's interesting what it does with that, you know, replaying it and changing the way you play in a way that not a whole lot of other games uh, do this well, especially a lot of games that are like, you know, uh, let's say a Bioware game where you want to play through and be the Paragon. And then I want to play through and be a renegade next time, but you're still play the the same story. You'll just mm-hmm. punch the reporter in the face instead of not punching the reporter in the face. Exactly. And <laughs> <laughs> Undertale does change in a really cool and satisfying way uh, when you do replay it. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think, like, like I said, I think at this point, everybody is familiar with the the pacifist neutral genesis or genocide, not genesis, sorry, uh, genocide kind of pathing of, of the routes there where it's, it does encourage multiple playthroughs. Um, so I don't know how you play, but for my first time, I was just exploring the world and I did a neutral playthrough. And so uh, mm-hmm. did try to like not engage in combat as much as I you know, it possibly could sometimes just got frustrated and just ended up like killing a thing or two here. Um, you know, still got like what is considered like the true, like neutral ending. Mm-hmm. That's pr- a pretty standard ending that, uh, the pacifist, uh, route actually kind of jumps off of. Um, and then, yeah, trying to do, I would say that the pacifist and genocide routes are not kind of, I, I feel like they're more restrictive because yeah, you're kind of told like, Hey, you do it this way and something different will happen. But, I feel like there are opportunities to like very easily screw up if you're on like one of those two paths. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's just me. Um, Whereas like if you make one or two wrong decisions then you know, you're no longer on that path, you're going to deviate back into the neutral path. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, like I said, I've only done a few playthroughs of this game, so I'm not a hundred percent sure. And I utilized uh, like guides and walkthroughs to kind of help me uh, make sure I stayed on those paths correctly and I didn't miss anything. Um, But I can't, I can't imagine like when this game first came out, you're trying to like achieve those endings, like, trying to figure out the very specific criteria for a passive ending or a very specific criteria for the genocide ending. Right. Yeah. I, so when I was thinking about playing this and I was like, I don't know, kind of mentioned like, Hey, I'm going to play undertale soon. 
there were a couple people that, uh, and like I'd heard this before from just random shouts that come out of the the internet ether, you know, they're <laughs> like, you have to play pacifist. You have to play pacifist. And then I had a couple people that were like, nope, just, you know, just play through naturally, do what feels right to you. And then uh, the game will tell you what you should do next. Um, right. And so that's what I did. And I highly recommend that that's what someone, if you're listening to this and you haven't played Undertale, that's how I recommend that you play it too. Like I recommend that you just play it the way you feel like playing and then the game will guide you from there, I think. Um, this is a game that has some degree of gatekeeping of people who want to say like, you have to play it this way. If you don't play it this way, what are you doing? And I'm, I just kind of like, man, fuck off. Let people just enjoy it. The, the game is structured to teach you what you should be doing so they don't need you shouting from twitter yeah and and unfortunately like anything that gets a really really big internet following yeah it tends to bring out the worst in people who for whatever reason think that because they love something it is their job and their duty and their honor to defend it with their life Uh but you know (laughs) it's just again like the whole point of my show is like different people experience different memories for different things like yeah not everyone is going to see the game the same way you did and like that's fine you don't have to be mm-hmm. a dick about it and you know again i feel you know it's incredible when you think about that this is the work of like one man with that with the help of uh, of temi the the artist um but i can't imagine and we'll touch on that a little bit too like when all the fervor started around this and like everything is directed like solely at him all of that energy uh-huh. uh that must have <laughs> been like insane to think about i would not like i get nervous when i tweet one thing and four people like it. i can't imagine having <laughs> 8 million angry internet denizens trying to gatekeep and just yell at you and just, you know, something that was a labor of love is now like a prison. <laughs> yeah. So just shout out to uh, the the handful of people, you know, who you are, who like when I was thinking about playing this game, they were like, no, nah, just play it how you want to. It'll work itself yeah. out. And they were totally Absolutely. right. And, and and that's been a big message, too, of your your show lately. I mean, I just got I, I won't want to date the show, but I just listened to the Elden Ring month episodes and mm-hmm. you were a very big proponent of that. It's just like, hey, like the game gives you the tools to play how you want to, like just just do it. Yeah. Like just, you don't have to be a naked guy with a giant sword to, to pl- fully experience the game. Like you don't have to. Right. Yep. And it, it's the same in Undertale. Like this game will guide you toward all of the different experiences. So just mm-hmm. like just kind of follow directions. You'll be fine. Don't. I mean, this is good advice in general, but don't listen to the voices coming out of the Twitter void. It, it's not worth it. <laughs> It'll be a much more pleasant experience if you just don't tell anyone that you're playing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <yeah>. Honestly. So let's get into what playing Undertale is actually like. And first of all, I'm glad I played um, Earthbound before I played Undertale because (laughs) I don't think it's any secret that Toby Fox was very influenced by Earthbound. I I believe one of the first games he made was an Earthbound ROM hack. So this feels very Earthbound if you've played that. But if you haven't, it's it's pretty simple. Walk around, check stuff, talk to people. the, I think the writing in Undertale gets a lot of praise for being funny and uh, charming. I think it's uh, mostly charming. 
there are a couple of characters in particular that I think are super fucking annoying. And I don't know if that's by design <laughs> or if it's just, you know, how I am. Some of the humor, like you mentioned earlier, Eric, some of the humor feels very much out of like a slice of internet humor history, mm-hmm. but nothing that really like, you know, made me say, ah, oh, this is, you know, the game is ruined. It's not like that. It's right. it's just all right. Um, I enjoyed the puns in this game, though. This game has a lot of uh, jokes. Uh, there's one character in particular that makes a bunch of puns, and I am 100% here for that. So Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed most of the dialogue. Um, I enjoyed talking to people around town. Some of them, um, everyone has interesting things to say or interesting personalities. It's just kind of up to you on like, how many of those you enjoy, but they are all, they did make an effort. This is earth. This is like earthbound too, where, you know, in this type of RPG, there's a bunch of people around town and you can go talk to everybody. But a lot of these games, those other people have nothing to say. It, it's just like, you know, um, I go talk to this guy and he's like, yeah, it rained yesterday. And I'm like, Oh, okay, <laughs> cool. cool. I'm glad I walked over here to talk to you. <laughs> But in Earthbound and then also in Undertale, everyone around town at least has something interesting to say. Uh, so I did enjoy going around talking to people. Yeah, I did as well. And I think that really in a short game like this, that's very, you know, like 2D, top down, 8-bit, that kind of style. Mm-hmm. Um, any little advantage that Toby Fox could get to like make it feel more immersive, like he obviously took. So, um, yeah, giving people meaningful things to say, regardless of how much of a pain that must have been to give everybody like unique interactions uh, must have been really annoying, but uh, it, it definitely helps you with the sense of immersion that you're actually in this world with with these people and not mm-hmm. just like, yeah, there's a soulless guy over there. He'll just be like, oh, my wife took the wagon wheel or whatever. I don't I don't know why that would be a dialogue option. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it really did. And when you're in specific scenes, um, especially like the one town you get to pretty early on, it, it feels like a lived in world. And I think that's mm-hmm. uh, a pretty good achievement because, I mean, if you take any kind of game in this style and go back like 20 years. Yeah, it's it's just feels like you're in a town with like like mannequins or just nobody saying anything yeah even i mean even new games like i don't want to talk to the people in final fantasy 7 remake people won't have interesting (laughs) things to say in that game uh like the the regular townspeople so exactly it it's just a kind of fun uh when you you do go talk to that you know that random dude who's just standing next to the counter in an inn and he has a little sentence that's gives you a little bit of lore or a little joke or something like that it's always uh, worth pointing out, especially mm-hmm. in games like this. Yeah, I agree. In Undertale, not Earthbound, well, also Earthbound, uh, you have limited inventory. The RPG stuff is pretty limited in Undertale, but it is an RPG. You're picking up items. Uh, you can have one weapon and one piece of armor, and then basically just fill up the rest of your inventory with with healing items. But you do have limited inventory space, kind of like Earthbound, I really complained about that a lot in the Earthbound episode of the show. It was very annoying in Earthbound because it was hard to change stuff from your inventory. Um, In Undertale, that is much easier to deal with. So unlike Earthbound, I never was like, fuck, I'm out of inventory space. I need to like leave this dungeon and go back or I need to throw away something valuable or throw away something to pick up an item that I don't know if it's good or not, you know, 
ran into all those frustrating situations. In Undertale, it's fine. Um, you know, again, very basic RPG stuff, though. Yeah, and I think, too, uh, if it, they would have made the inventory much bigger, I probably would feel like this game would be a little too easy just because of the amount of items that would be available to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, they do a good job of mitigating that by pretty much just having like a storage chest in like every area that you can access and swap items in and, in and out and uh, kind of stock up on stuff if you have to and then go back to it. And like I said, they're pretty prevalent. Pretty much everywhere there's a save point, you can find a chest nearby. So that's not really a big issue. Yeah, just a little bit of quality of life. I think that was an emphasis by Toby Fox uh, when making Undertale, keeping older RPGs in mind, uh, just mm-hmm. a little bit of quality of life. There's not a whole lot of backtracking in this game, except for a couple of times when I needed to backtrack because I missed something or I wasn't prepared for what was happening, but right. there's no mandatory backtracking, I want to say. And it's it's really nice. It's something that, you know, if instead of this game being 10 hours long, it's five or six uh, because of these little quality of life things that are put in here. Right. And and even backtracking too, I would say like backtracking is probably only really required for like parts of the pacifist ending. Like that's when you kind of go got to go and do stuff like after the game is over. Mm-hmm. That's like unlock the true ending. But yeah, I, <laughs> I never really uh, felt like I was like having to like trek across the world to like turn in a quest or something. It took me like 30 minutes to get back to where I needed yeah. to go. And they do uh, have a kind of a fast travel system where like everything in the game is kind of built along a river. And then at certain points you can like take the boat to different places you've been yeah. to access it pretty quickly. It won't get you like exactly like by where you need to go, but it'll get you like in the vicinity if you're trying to backtrack. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's fine. Like, I never found that. We're not talking like Metroid levels of backtracking no. across maps to open <laughs> open a single door to advance the story or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, last week on the show was Chrono Trigger, and that's a game where you are you have to go to places you've visited before many, many times in different time periods and stuff like oh, yes. that. <laughs> and uh, you know, Undertale is just much, much simpler. It's, it's pared down in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Another way that it's pared down is in the combat system, which is a, uh, a turn-based system like you may, you know, if you played RPGs, you've played a, a combat system that's turn-based, but this is like much, much, much lighter and different from any other kind of RPG combat system I've uh, ever played. So mm-hmm. you have your attack option. But you don't have magic spells. You don't have, you know, a bunch of usable items except for your healing stuff. Uh, this is one way it, it's different from Earthbound, even though it, it kind of, the screen looks similar to Earthbound. Um, but when you hit attack, there's a kind of QTE thing uh, that you have to do to line up uh, your strikes on a, a thing that's moving across this, um, I don't know, this design. And when it, it overlaps in the center, press your uh, your action button and you'll get an attack bonus like that. I'm not even sure what you would call that. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just it's, like you're aiming for like a green area in the middle. It's yeah. some kind of meter, but it's, you're just like, yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's real simple. So that's your attack. That's your only attack option. And then the meat of it is, um, you can hit something called check, 
which is uh, you can check enemy info like in other RPGs. It'll tell you their HP. It'll tell you their attack and defense stat like that. But uh, you'll have an option to talk to every enemy uh, that you come across from the lowliest of like level one first enemies you fight in the game up to the final boss. Every enemy has a talk option. And this is where this is where it like diverged from what I thought the game was going to be because talking to the enemies, you can talk to them. You can kind of puzzle out like, how do I talk them out of this fight? Right. And so you can talk, once you pick the right options for this, uh, their kind of name will change from white to yellow. And then you can go and hit the spare, um, action and it's you sparing their life, choosing not to fight, and the enemy will run away. So I thought that this was going to be a game about like really making the choice between fighting or, you know, not fighting, violence versus nonviolence. But the nonviolent path through these encounters was so much more interesting, probably by design, that it didn't feel that way. Like, I thought this was going to be a game about, like, you know, it may be fun to fight, but let's make it so that you don't want to fight. But in Undertale, it's not really fun to hit attack and do that QTE over and over again. So just when I was naturally playing it, I gravitated towards puzzling out how do I finish this encounter nonviolently, because that's the only interesting way to get through these, in my opinion. Yeah, I I really looked at it more like when you decided to take that route, it really shifted from like a battle to like a puzzle, at least least for me, that's the way I felt. Mm -hmm. And it's a little more in depth, you would think that, oh, if you're gonna hit the talk button or whatever, and like you get the option to talk to him, it's like, no, really by checking the monster, it gives you a little bit of information on that monster. And then by enacting the talk action, it gives you a bunch of different choices to kind of like try and puzzle out how to talk to this person, how to get through the encounter without murder. And so like, for example, uh, like if you're in a fight with a monster, you'll have like, it'll just, your options will be like talk, uh, tell joke, compliment, or, or like a diss or something like that. And you got to figure yeah. out like which one of those will, will like be the optimal path to like getting the monster to let their guard down. Mm-hmm. And some of them are pretty funny. Like I, the, the one monster is like a, like a buff seahorse type monster or something <laughs> yeah. like that. His name's Aaron. And like, yeah. Yeah. Aaron. Yeah. It's just, who's just Aaron, which is great. And, uh, I, I think like the way you do that is like, you just kind of compliment and be like, Oh, like your muscles, like you're really strong. Like it feels good about himself. And then mm-hmm. obviously once you make him feel good about himself, then he'll like go on his way and you can just like spare him or, or mercy and then get out of the fight that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an infinitely much more interesting, uh, option for combat than like fighting and attacking because yeah, you just have that one quick time event and that can vary too. Like based on the, we- the weapons you equip, like sometimes you just have to hit the meter once. Sometimes you have to hit it like a few times if you just equip a different weapon mm-hmm. uh, to do more damage. But that's really the only variation in it. It's like you said, just talking and puzzling out the encounters uh, is really more entertaining than, you know, fighting. So, and were were you like me where like when I was playing this, I kind of expected it to be more of a difficult choice between fighting and talking, but I ended up not feeling like it was a difficult choice at all because like, and not out of like, you know, I don't want to kill this buff seahorse named Aaron. It's not out (laughs) of like, you know, a pacifist mindset by me. It's just like, I'm playing a video game. I want to play it in the most fun way possible. And the nonviolent way was so much more fun. Was that surprising for you? 
I don't think it was surprising because, and this is where I feel like the hype may have ruined my expectations a bit. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I knew that, you know, just having heard about this game so much that the nonviolent options were like more interesting and led to like more interesting conclusions, decisions, and story bits. So, of course, going in, I was just like, yeah, I, I, you know, I did kill a couple things just to kind of explore like the depth of the combat through like my first playthrough. But a majority of the time, I just wanted to see, hey, like what are these different options and where do they lead? And that was just just way more, way more entertaining. Yeah, agreed. Uh, being that this is a turn-based game, though, and you're going to need a couple of turns to accomplish whatever you're trying to do, violent or non-violent, the enemies are going to attack you. And when they do, uh, you have this little kind of bullet hell mini game where your character, your avatar is this little heart on the screen and you're inside of a, an enclosed box and you have all kinds of different bullet hell style attacks to dodge. Um, and you can control the heart and, I really like this for the most part. Like I enjoyed learning the patterns, especially in the boss fights for how to dodge stuff or prevent damage. It did feel kind of cheap. Sometimes I felt like there were some attacks that you just can't dodge. And Mm. I don't always like that though. If you compare this to another turn-based RPG, you can't dodge anything in a regular turn-based RPG. So it kind of makes sense that there are some undodgeable attacks, but I did wish that more of them were more skill based i guess but for the most part i thought this was pretty fun yeah i do too and it's certainly easier if than going back and playing like old shmups on like old consoles because yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> shmups are notorious for just being so hard like if you go and like look up any shmup from like that era and just watch gameplay of it you're just like how can you even tell mm-hmm. what is happening on the screen <laughs> it's absolutely nuts but yeah this this to me aside from like being able to talk and spare enemies was really unique and I, i'm i'm really glad he actually put this in because at first you're like oh okay like that's not you know that's you can only do so much with that but really mm-hmm. it's surprising the amount that he manages to do with that it's, it's really impressive so like yeah stuff's flying at you on screen like for example i'll just keep using aaron as the example um like one of his attacks is like when he attacks you like buff biceps like come down and yeah. you have to like navigate your heart like through the buff biceps so you don't get hit and take damage mm-hmm. uh and it also enables you too to like take damage and also avoid taking damage is very rewarding for uh mastering those skills uh which is another one of his influences was uh the mario and luigi superstar saga series mm-hmm. of rpgs where um it's very time-based that you can mitigate damage in that game so it's not just so you have you can have to take damage no matter what yeah so um but yeah i think that was great and then they continue to uh they don't just like introduce you to it and be like okay like this is what it is uh they evolve it over the course of the game, which yeah. I think is really great. So they introduce new things. So um, one of the things they introduce is uh, some of the stuff that will fly through your screen will be the color blue. And if it's blue, you don't want to move. If you don't move, it'll just pass over you and won't cause you any damage. Right. Or sometimes your heart will turn blue and that'll be like the change in gravity. And then you have to like hit A to like jump over stuff. You're not just flying around in the middle of the screen. Yep. So he really iterates, even through like the end of the game, iterates on that system a lot. And I think it's really cool just to kind of see all the and almost all the encounters have really really unique kind of bullet hell things that they do Mm -hmm. um but yeah i will agree like once you get to some of the like end fights and the pacifist fights and especially uh one particular fight at the end of the genocide run that we'll talk about um that system gets unbelievably difficult yeah uh but (laughs) it's it's pretty good and uh, a side note too. Uh, one of the ways he tested that system was um, he wanted it to be tough but fair. So yeah. Toby Fox brought in his friends who like weren't 
serious gamers like they didn't have a lot of experience playing games and he tuned the game around them playing it and he found that if they were able to overcome the challenge then it was a well-balanced game and Mm -hmm. like for the most part except for some things i feel like it's pretty well balanced um except for when you get to the stuff that's meant to be incredibly challenging (laughs) yeah there were a couple bosses that were pretty hard in the game uh, but Mm -hmm. it was about learning their patterns and executing on my part and Again, sometimes there are attacks that I just felt like they're impossible to dodge. There's just no way to dodge them. It's no openings. Yeah, it those never felt great because so much of this is totally skill-based and pattern recognition-based, but it, it was definitely not enough to tank it. And I did get a, for those couple of bosses that I found were hard, I did get a nice feeling of satisfaction when I beat them. So, yeah, I mean, that's part of what you want from a, a difficult boss uh, like this. As long as it's fair, and I do think these are fair. Yeah, I, I agree. And there, like you said, it might take you a couple of times to like master that because there are a little bit of twitch reflexes involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll find if you have to do the fight two, three, four times, like each time you'll get further in the fight and you'll be mastering the mechanics. And by the end of it, you'll have like master where like the boss won't even touch you or like you only get touched a few times and it feels really great. So yeah, um, yeah it's very, very well balanced. So a lot of the bosses are kind of skill challenges like that but some of them aren't some of them are more story things um Mm -hmm. a lot of the bosses will introduce like totally unique mechanics for how to get through the fight like some bosses are totally impervious to any damage you try to do so there's something else you have to do throughout the fight and um even on my first run i gravitated towards trying to solve the boss fights again non-violently because it was it's an even bigger puzzle than the regular enemies. And I just thought that was really fun and rewarding to figure out how to get through those. I did kill a couple of bosses on my first run. Uh, one of them was by accident. <laughs> Don't know my own strength. And yeah. then <laughs> one of them was like, this boss took me a bunch of times. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to kill this guy. Like I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I did enjoy puzzling out those nonviolent roots. Yeah. And I feel too, I don't know, maybe this is just the way I had my, my gear or something set up, but I felt like at certain times it would take longer for you to kill the boss with attacks than it was to like puzzle out and like end the fight that way. Mm-hmm. So I felt like there was more incentive for me to like want to puzzle it out because then the fight wouldn't last as long. And then if a fight's not lasting as long, that's the less stuff I have to dodge that's flying at me every round. Mm-hmm. So that's that's at least how I felt it. I'm sure somebody who's a massive fan will come and tell me, "Oh, you can just get this weapon or whatever and kill everything in one hit." That's that's fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. I felt that it was a good job by Toby Fox of like saying, "Hey, like go go this way, go towards these other options." You know, don't just pick violence as a a first solution. Yeah, yeah. It's I think that's a definite focus uh, by Toby Fox to push you into at least exploring the nonviolent options, and then yeah. It, kind of as a combat puzzle it's it's just a it's it's pretty fun to to figure these out i had a good time with it Mm -hmm. yeah
The other thing about the boss fights, and this kind of transitions us into something we mentioned earlier, all of the boss fights have incredible music. And oh yeah, especially when you're in the zone of doing those bullet hell, dodging, dodging the attacks, and this like just incredible song is playing, and you have like this intense focus on the game. It led to a bunch of like really memorable moments, and even when I'm talking right now, I have a, a I have music playing in my head from one of the boss fights that I, I played over and over again because it was kind of hard, mm-hmm. and that theme was just so good as like a backing track kind of reinforcing emotions that you should be feeling during these fights uh, with, you know, characters that you've come to know, perhaps love, perhaps not, who knows, but Mm -hmm. um, the music in this game is overall great. And just starting with the boss themes, super memorable, a lot of, a lot of energy, a lot of times, good stuff. Yeah, I again, you you nail it. I listened to the soundtrack before I played the game. And that's how good the music was, and it's mm-hmm. it's it, it's at first glance it's like your eight bit themes, but it's like it's so he does so much more than that. And I hate to turn this into like the the Toby Fox fan cast, but um, <laughs> just the fact that somebody could you know do all of this, uh, you know, write and design the game and write the music and program it and all that stuff is, I, I think, really incredible. I mean, you look back to the the old days, like. They weren't not even Miyamoto was doing that. Like they had a team of people working on on those games and and a dedicated musician and a dedicated level designer. And he was just doing all of it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, those he managed to write boss themes, especially that I felt perfectly encapsulated, regardless if you hated the character or not, um, what that character like was about. And mm-hmm. I, I it's I, I'm treading on spoiler territory, so I won't say anything. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll reference it when we come back. But yeah, uh, yeah, just. And when you kind of think about the music and then kind of learn more about the character, you just be like, oh, yeah, like that actually was a really, really perfect theme for what they were, were all about. And yeah, especially one uh, Megalovania, just how big that specific piece of music got yeah. and just all of the remixes and all of the different uh, fan recreations of, of that piece of music specifically. And yeah. that piece of music specifically so infested the mainstream. They played it for the Pope. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely. Uh, I'm sure Jesus likes Undertale, but oh, uh, yeah. that's that's a different podcast. But uh, um, <laughs> in this video essay, I will uh, establish the connection between Jesus's uh, hy- hypothetical video game tastes and the themes of Undertale. Yeah, right. Strap in, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I think if uh, Jesus fell into the mountain, uh, I think Sans definitely would have been a disciple. But you know, that's just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One thing I noticed about the music is, you know, comparing it with a lot of other RPGs I've played, you know, JRPGs, especially JRPGs have great music overall, really like melody based. And something I noticed in undertale is undertale, man, I don't have the words for this. I'm going to need to phone in uh, pixel project radio for this, but um, <laughs> just have them send a thing and then clip it in later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing about undertale's music that like I immediately noticed is that it uses a lot of uh, rhythms that um, kind of like some Western music genres use, like ragtime yeah. rhythms and stuff like that are really prevalent in Undertale. And when I compare that to other JRPGs, other video games in general, JRPG music, fantasy JRPG music especially, sounds like fantasy JRPG music. And mm-hmm. obviously each game has its own soundtrack that fits that specific game, but I can lump them all together into JRPG music, except for Earthbound. That's its own thing. Right. In Undertale, though, it feels like a mixture of 
that type of thing, but a lot of rhythm based, like, I don't know, kind of swingy rhythms, a lot of electric guitar, a lot of uh, piano based tracks um, that are not like, you know, this game's going for like an 8-bit aesthetic, but this is not a chiptune only soundtrack. There's a lot of Absolutely not. interesting stuff going on in quality too. Like it's it's not just interesting because it's different. These are super catchy. I, I really mm-hmm. enjoy this. Yeah. And another thing that he did really well too, and like, like I said, I'm sure... Uh, the Pixel Project guys will have uh, can definitely, and I believe they had an episode. They on do Undertale have an episode on yeah. Undertale, so go listen to that, everybody. Yeah, yes, absolutely do. Um, can't wait for those guys to come back for sure. But uh, he does this thing where uh, you know, like the main Undertale theme. I'm not going to sing it because I don't want people to never listen to the show again. But um, <laughs> he does a good job of like weaving that in and like having different iterations on that song specifically Mm -hmm. um specifically when it relates to your character and your character only you won't ever really hear that specific like the undertale like your character theme uh anywhere else because each character has their own music that kind of suits what that character is about um that main theme is reserved pretty much for for you and like the the big story moments and Mm -hmm. that was just one thing that i noticed where it's like he interwoves this theme but it's never like it's never when they're focusing on like a different character. And I think that's, that's really cool. hundred percent. When I was listening, I, I literally, I just put on, on YouTube this morning, I put on the undertale OST playlist and I was just kind of like browsing, skimming through it. Um, and I noticed just how often that main theme pops up in different versions, mm-hmm. different remixes, different instrumentation, different moods. It's, it's really nice. I, you know, a lot of games do this and do it to great effect and mm-hmm. undertale does it super, super well. Another thing I noticed is just like, well, you make podcasts and you put music into podcasts. I was going through this soundtrack and being like, how the fuck am I just going to pick seven or eight songs to put in oh. this episode? There's, like, <laughs> there's like 45 incredible songs on this soundtrack. I was thinking about that too. When I was thinking <laughs> about the episode day and I was listening to it while I was driving, dropping my dogs off. And I was like, man, I'm like, how can you just pick a handful of these? Because like, mm-hmm. really, you just like going through and you're like, none of these songs are like really bad. Like no. uh, there's like all these songs are like really, really great, really, really well done. <laughs> there's a lot of ambient songs too that that play yeah. in, you know, situations where, you know, a catchy song would not be appropriate, you know. So maybe those will not be in here, but I was literally <laughs> skipping through this playlist just being like, yep, that song rocks. That song's great. That song's super memorable. Shit, I have 15. That's too many. Gonna, it's it's tough. Maybe I'm just going to have to put music breaks like every 10 minutes throughout the yeah, episode. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> this was a two-hour episode, but with music, it's a four-hour episode. So. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into some final thoughts before we get into spoiler time. I think I've said what I want to say non-spoiler-wise. So guest always goes first. Eric, what do you want people to know about Undertale and who would you recommend this game to? Yeah, I, I would recommend uh, you're probably going to have a better time with this game if you were managed to kind of shield yourself off from the intense fandom, uh, because, you know, like Dave said, he was very fortunate to be insulated from the intense fandom, intense pushback, intense fandom, intense pushback, uh, you know, that that occurred through this first couple of mid middle of 2010s. And um, that's when you're really going to experience this game most. I would honestly recommend, uh, I, I think this game is good enough to where it's worth a playthrough. I think uh, if you've done nothing except kind of be immersed in the triple a video game machine over the past few years, mm-hmm. uh, it's a very welcome breath of fresh air. It does a good job. Like I said, I'm going to say it again of 
he, he wanted to subvert Toby wanted to subvert the traditional JRPG experiences because he felt that like hey whenever you're a guy playing one of these RPGs and going on an adventure you just leave a body count in the thousands behind <laughs> you and there's never really any consequences and none of the games ever really address that well this is a game that kind of addresses that and kind of makes you answer for uh, those decisions that you make and it was very effective for me as something that I've, and I know other games have kind of done that for. I know that like uh, stealth runs or no kill runs of games are, are, are very popular genre nowadays in, in games that you can do them. Mm-hmm. But I, I think this was, and, and just in regards to the indie scene too, this is really one of the earlier indie games that kind of hit such massive mainstream success that, and and really probably one of the best Kickstarter success stories of all time. So, uh, but I I think if you can get this game uh, relatively cheaply, maybe like twenty bucks on the Switch, maybe fifteen. Yeah, I don't know. Full it's price nice. twenty bucks. Okay, and it's on sale enough that I see it on sale a couple times a year. So, um, but I think if you want to, if you enjoy a story based game and you're able to connect emotionally with with the characters, I think that's really where the most rewarding part of this game is. So if, if that's something you enjoy, that's who I'd recommend it to. I would never sit here and say, um, despite the game not living up to my lofty expectations, uh, that you should not play this game. I think it's good. Uh, and I enjoyed it enough that I've played uh, the first two chapters of Deltarune that Toby Fox has put out. Yeah. Um, and that is very well done as too. So I, I would recommend playing this. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that this is a game that like if you play a lot of video games, especially a lot of RPGs, especially like JRPGs, then this might be an interesting experience for you, even if you know what the game is trying to do. Seeing it for yourself, experiencing it for yourself um, could be an interesting experience for sure. If you play JRPGs or turn-based games for like the combat mechanics and stuff i don't think undertale's gonna do much for you but i like to think that people also play those games for the stories and characters Mm. especially jrpgs and i do think undertale has something interesting to say and it's not just a game that like sometimes rpgs they'll have like one character really late in the game say like how can you call me evil how many soldiers have you killed and then (laughs) but that's that's it undertale like really it that thing is baked into like the entire game experience so if you're into something like that pretty easy recommendation and i do think it works better for people who play a lot of rpgs like this or at least play a lot of video games where you go around killing stuff if you're in the indie scene too i think it's a really easy recommend as well well Mm -hmm. it's it's probably at the point where i mean yes the development is indie it's probably achieved much more success than yeah. a lot of uh you know triple a games that have come out but yeah uh, and yeah and like i said earlier if you play it just like don't tell anybody except like your close friends that you're <laughs> playing it like just yeah anybody that's you know is like a crazy undertale fan just don't tell them because yeah. um you know not not to lump all the undertale fans together as bad fans but um that that community like any certainly has some some bad gatekeeping apples so yeah you can tell me you can tell eric we're cool so yeah no you <laughs> um, have to run you have to do genocide and feel like shit no I'm yeah just kidding. <laughs> uh the game has been given away for free on ps plus before so oh, yes. you might own it already i think it was given away i can't remember if it was given away on epic or not i know that i bought it on steam for like four dollars so it does Same. go on sale super cheap and then i bought it again on switch because i just like playing games on switch absolutely and i'm interested in playing delta rune too like and Deltarune is free, like just straight up free. 
Yeah. So like after playing Undertale, I de- I'm definitely interested in what Toby Fox wants to do in like the next iteration, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to play those first two chapters of Deltarune and kind of kind of eagerly anticipate what it's doing. Yeah, not to not to spoil that at all. Um, give me a call if you do that, and okay. uh, that would be kind of a hard one because he's putting out that game in chapters, so I don't know when yeah. that full game is actually going to be out. Um, but yeah, it's free; you don't have any reason to. But um, that is another game where Toby Fox has said, "Okay, hey, you have Undertale, but now I'm going to subvert your expectations of Undertale with this game." Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very much a thing that he's trying to carry forward. Yeah, and that's something I really like about indie games is like because they're not focus grouped to death like AAA games are, you can like very clearly see one person or a small team of people's like basic idea and like honed to the exact point that they want to make. And Mm -hmm. I think that Undertale is like certainly a a big, big example of that. Whereas, you know, if a AAA game were trying to say the same thing, the, you know, the sharp stuff would get rounded down and it may not, you know, hit exactly the way that the original idea was intended to hit. Whereas a game like this, because it's it's literally just, hey, this is my idea. I'm going to do exactly what I want. And I think you can see it when you play this. Like you, there is no ambiguity about what Toby Fox wanted to say with this game. And so I'm excited to see what he's trying to say in Deltarune. So little housekeeping before we get into spoiler time, I want to begin by giving you a chance, Eric, to tell people where they can find the unlockables. Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm pretty much available, uh, Unlockables Podcast, pretty much available on, uh, not I'm available, that makes it sound like I'm selling myself, which I'm not <laughs> trying to do. Uh, yeah, not that desperate. Kind of. <laughs> Depending on the pay. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but no, uh, the show is available on pretty much any of your standard podcatchers. Um, you know, your Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, Spotify, Podcast Addict, all those good ones. Uh, and if it's not available somewhere, uh, just let me know. I'll put it up wherever you want. And uh, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, I don't have my own Discord, but I'm in the Tales from the Backlog Discord, as well as many, many other Discords in our in our circle of uh, podcasting friends here. So uh, if you're in one of those, uh, that's you, you find me in there. Uh, just the thought of being in so many discords and then running my own stresses me out. So mm-hmm. I probably, <laughs> I, I'm just happy like living in other people's discords. That's fine. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at the one true sire, uh, on Instagram at unlockables pod. And, uh, I think there's a Twitter for the podcast too. I think it's just at unlockables podcast. So, uh, those are the main places you can interact with me. I talk to a lot of people on Twitter, do all my shout outs on Instagram. So, you don't really have an excuse to not get a hold of me uh, or, you know, you just leave me alone too, because <laughs> social interaction makes me anxious. always an option. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you can check down in the show notes for everything unlockables, uh, easy ways to find it, find Eric on social media. And while you're listening to the rest of this episode or just enjoying the music break that's about to come up, just search unlockables in your podcast app and you'll find it again. Highly recommended. Tales from the Backlog drops on Wednesdays. Unlockables also drops on Wednesdays. So if I'm not listening to myself, I'm listening to Unlockables <laughs> on Wednesday, guaranteed. So Wednesday's the best day of the week, man. That's yeah. just a one-two punch. <laughs> so for Tales from the Backlog, Eric mentioned earlier, there's a Discord server going. We have a good group of people in there talking about games and life and stuff like that. If you want to join a nice, friendly gaming community, come hit that button. It's down in the show notes as well. Hit subscribe if you haven't already. Consider leaving a review if you've enjoyed the show. And 
check out a top three podcast, which is my other show. If you like top three lists, that one, uh, we have 50 episodes at the time of recording, find an, a, a topic you like. I think that shows a good time. Mm-hmm. Eric and I are going to take a break. And when we come back, it's spoiler time for undertale. and I are back and it's time to talk spoilers for Undertale. And the way that I want to structure this is to just quickly run through the three paths, the three main paths. Um, I did a neutral run my first time as I was just playing naturally, however things came to me. So we'll start there. Um, Like I said earlier, I chose to explore the non-combat options most of the time because that was the most interesting thing to do, not because I you know, didn't want to hurt the cute monsters or something like that. I am, after all, a gamer. But mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like I said earlier, just mechanically fighting them was not interesting, not fun, probably by design. So I went through non-combat most of the time. However, uh, regrettably, I killed Toriel my first run by accident. Because I th- if I remember right... As you attack, your attacks get like twice as strong each successive attack or something like that. Yeah. And so I miscalculated how much damage I would do and killed her. Oops. And I love Toriel. And that mm-hmm. kind of hurt. Like, I was kind of mad because she's blocking you from getting out of there. <laughs> it's like, please let me leave. I, I, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I, I was thinking like, okay, I probably need to take her health down really low, like catching a Pokemon or something. And then she'll be like, (laughs) okay, you can go. But I killed her. So, oops. Yeah. Uh, If it makes you feel any better, I I did that too. I killed her my first time. Yeah. (laughs) And I felt awful. Um, And if I, if I could just maybe elaborate on that a little bit, cause it goes into the next part. But um, so in my playthrough, I killed her and then I loaded my save because I didn't want her to be dead in my playthrough. Uh, And then I, got through and i was able to like get past her without killing her Mm -hmm. um in the very next scene you run into the main antagonist of the story flowey yeah and um he shows up to taunt you and and he's a tool that toby fox uses to subvert your expectations pretty much right off the bat Mm -hmm. he's the first character you meet when you fall into the mountain or fall down that pit or whatever yeah and he tries to tell you oh like catch these love bullets and they're actually meant to kill you and he tells you (laughs) yeah he tells you in a pretty creepy voice that it's kill or be killed um so when i killed toriel and when i loaded my save and did it the right way when i encountered him on the next screen um he was like hey like i know what you did he's like you killed her you killed her and you reset yeah (laughs) so he like knew and i was like oh that's that feels terrible (laughs) like yeah so um he remembered that that i did that uh based on that saving and i think we'll touch on that a little bit later in the story how like saving and loading are kind of like actually a thing in this world too and we'll kind of touch on that when we get through the past but mm-hmm. yeah i just thought that was very interesting that he he called me on my terrible decision like right away and i was like this sucks <laughs> yeah i loved that intro where it's like your tutorial for the bullet hell stuff but mm-hmm. flowey's like yeah like hit these love bullets or whatever and it just hurts you and that that's what teaches you that you're doing a bullet hell and you have to dodge all that stuff i thought that was really yeah. funny i enjoyed that 
Yeah. And even in specific, the text where he was like, run in the, if you dodge it, he'll be like, run into the bullets and then it'll change the text and it'll say friendship pellets. And you're like, wait a second, like yeah. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> yeah. So as you go through, um, you meet uh, Sans and Papyrus. Um, Papyrus? Papyrus? I don't know how you say that word. No voice Skeleton acting. Bros. So, yeah. Um, I really liked Sans. Sans is just a cool dude. Uh, even, yeah. You know, especially the first couple runs through the game when you're not killing everybody. Um, <laughs> I never really liked Papyrus, but I think he's designed to be an annoying, you know, annoying dude you don't want to spend a bunch of time with. Uh, but um, I enjoyed the puns. I enjoyed the the frozen spaghetti jokes. I enjoyed yeah. the puzzles that you're doing <laughs> and stuff like that. It, it's at that point that I realized, like, you know, I knew this was a game about subverting expectations, but I didn't know that it would be like constantly like you do this puzzle. They're going to talk about it as if it's a puzzle that they designed for you. You know, like they're the ones creating the puzzles for you and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I don't know. I, I enjoyed the first couple things going through the ruins, going through uh, the winter area and stuff. Yeah. I really like that as I was just like, you know, coming to terms with what the game actually is. Yeah. I, I think those two characters too, like you said, I think Papyrus was intentionally designed that way. Cause um, yeah, he is this like very loud, obnoxious, boisterous personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the end of the day, like he just like his motivations, he wants to capture a human so he can join the Royal guard. Uh, so he'll be super cool. And so he'll have lots of friends. So yeah. um, he, he means, well, he just wants to like have friends and be popular and stuff. He just goes about it in kind of the most uh, ridiculous way possible. Um, the one that sticks out to me is like when you're on the bridge and he summons like the last test and it's like two cannons pointing at the bridge and like the spears and the flamethrower. And the one thing at the end is like a dog just, just hanging there. Like it's yeah. going to come and get you. <laughs> yeah. Um, just silly stuff like that. Um, yes. Sans specifically has gotten fame or infamy, uh, from this game the most, I think. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. he seems like a super chill dude. I would hang out with Sans. I would go to the, like, hang out and get food with him. He just seems really chill, laid back. Um, but there are moments in the game, and I'm sure we'll talk about this when we get to the end, uh, the end paths. Um, he lets on that he knows more than like what he is saying that he knows. Like he's yeah. like, yeah. So I think that I think that's really interesting. Yeah. So as you go through, I went on a date with uh, Papyrus Papyrus. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I got to figure out how to say this fucking name, but I went on a date uh, with him, not because I was interested, but because whenever a video game like this gives you an option of something that sounds goofy, like just say yes, just go see what it is. So that was kind of fun. I I enjoyed that. I enjoyed like the, you know, the date meter that you're, (laughs) that you're, um, you're working through with that. It's all handled through the combat screen too, which is kind of fun. Yeah. And his sole motivation is like, not that he's like interested, but just, he's like, I will date better than you. Like he's he's looking at like a competition. You're just like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, so you go through there, uh, you hear about Undyne, who is this like, you know, fearsome warrior and you have that, that chase. Like I'll remember the chase where you're running across the boardwalk and the spears are coming up out of the boardwalk and you have to run around and avoid them. That was, it took me a long time to like get through that maze, but what kept me going was the song that plays through that is super cool. I love that. Oh yeah. That song is hearing it in my head right now. This is a game where I can think about scenes 
and the music will just start playing in my head to accompany like the mental image of that scene. I just think that's really special for a short, you know, it should take you more, no more than a couple of minutes to get through this. Maybe if you do it two or three times, but then it's over and yeah, just memorable, kind of tough. Yeah. That was the one that was like the first, uh, when doing that kind of sequence with her where she's throwing the spears at you, then they're coming up through the boardwalk. And then, um, ultimately that, that fight with her was really like the first time where, Things kind of ramp up because you have the fight with Papyrus, uh, unless you're like doing specifically the pacifist route, which I think you can like bypass it mm-hmm. uh, or he can just like automatically spare you. There's a lot of different like little subtle things that can happen to like make fights happen or not happen. Um, but yeah, that first fight with with Undyne or when you fight her, that was like really the the ramp up. I saw the ramp up of difficulty. I was like, oh, OK, yeah. like this is intense. And one thing that's interesting as you go through the different routes is how the characters kind of role in the story changes depending on what you're doing. You know, if you're playing pacifist or you're playing genocide or if you're playing neutral. So mm-hmm. like in the neutral route, Undyne is presented as this, you know, knight who is like, she's going to kill and capture a human so that mm-hmm. the monsters can get out and take that human soul. Right. So Undyne is presented as this like, kind of ultimate antagonist for the first half of the game or something like that. Um, and I spared her in that boss fight just because again, more interesting to puzzle out how to do it nonviolently, but mm-hmm. it wasn't because again, it wasn't because I like undying and didn't want to hurt her. It was just like, it's more fun to play the game this way. So that's how I'm going to do it. But I did get by her. Uh, you can run away uh, from the fight. That's how that ends. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you give her water when she goes into like the lava area and it's too hot for her armor? Yeah, I I did give her water, <laughs> um, but I did not know. So uh, that was like my first playthrough. Is like, yeah, I was like, oh, okay, I'll give her water, and then she like leaves. And after that, I didn't really know that like um, one of the things you do on like the pacifist route is like you can like double back and like go to her house and yeah. hang out with her and Papyrus. Uh, except Papyrus like jumps out the window and then just leaves you two. Uh, but I didn't do that on that playthrough. I just kept going. So I was like, oh, well, I spared her. Maybe she'll like come back or something. But like, no, if you don't like go and follow her and like engage in that part of the story, then it's just like, oh, well, it's it's gone. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, from that point, my first playthrough, I moved on from there, not knowing that I had to do that. Yeah. After that, you get into a section of the game that I just I don't really like a whole lot when you're dealing with Alphys, the uh, the scientist. Maybe this is something like you mentioned earlier, how a lot of the humor and dialogue feels very slice in time, you know, type stuff and getting pop-up notifications about what Alphys is doing on posting on social media felt very early days of Facebook type Mm -hmm. of thing. And I, I was like, I, and I bet it's supposed to be annoying, but I was like, this fucking sucks. Like, let me away from this. Like, I am not, this is not charming. This is not cute in, it's not annoying in like a, ha ha, look how annoying this is kind of way. It was like, this sucks. Take me away from this. Yeah, I agree. I, I like Alphys as a character in general because, um, you know, a lot of, is, is is that Alphys is a girl, right? I think, yeah, I think Alphys is a girl and, uh, 
a lot of her thing is like she's really she's like it's a scientist but she's really into like nerdy stuff that she's like embarrassed to like that and i kind of related with that like we're you know we've been into stuff that like oh i don't want to tell like those friends that i do this or that or whatever so like i kind of related with that but yeah just the constant pop of notifications and like you might think oh it's like once every once in a while but like no in some rooms it's like eight or nine times yeah, it's like, in like these rooms <laughs> it's like every 10 so steps you take it's crazy yeah it it's ridiculous like i yeah i understand like at the time like that was the thing um but i just going back and playing that that was that was hard and that was the whole section with like metaton too um that comes in the the mm-hmm. game show slash murderous robot uh i enjoyed that part as well yeah. i thought those were good um sometimes i felt like you know like when you go into the, on the onto the cooking scene and it's like cooking with a killer robot and mm-hmm. just a lot of that stuff i was like playing it i was just like yeah this seems like something this would have been funny like in 2015 and now i'm just kind of like oh okay like <laughs> yeah i i enjoyed like the cooking show uh thing where you have to you have to do like a little kind of sh- almost like shoot 'em up section to get through it and get to yeah, the top yeah. of this uh thing i i had fun with that i loved the um kind of opera scene that metaton does uh straight up final fantasy six reference yeah that was that was super cool <laughs> the song that plays is like just close enough to the song in final fantasy six that i was like yeah okay you know you ever have a reference that just lands 100 percent with you where you're like yes fuck yes this is my reference that's how i exactly. felt during that yeah <laughs> <laughs> really much to say until the end of the game when you fight asgore uh, except the fight against Asgore was really difficult for me. I had to backtrack all the way back to like the hotel and buy healing items and then yeah. go back and fight him. It was yeah. probably took me, I don't know, five to 10 tries, which is a lot for this game. I feel like. Yeah. I, I ran into a similar thing where that the first time I did that, I, yeah, I had to backtrack and get healing items. Cause I was just like, I'm not like I, I just not because it, it is and the interesting thing about this fight too is again this is another fight that subverts your expectations uh at least on this neutral route is that uh right off the bat when the fight starts he destroys the mercy button on like your command list yeah so it's he very much makes the point it's like this is not you're not doing mercy like this is a fight to the death and you have to fight him mm-hmm. uh so this is really like the the one fight in the game where it's like you're forced to uh, explore those combat mechanics. Yeah. So uh, I think that's really cool. And I think Asgore as well uh, is an interesting character because y- y- throughout the story, you get a lot of conflicting information about him. Um, yeah. You know, like P- Papyrus tells you that like, yo, he's like a great guy. Like you'll love him. He's super funny. And then other people tell you like, yo, he'll kill you. And he wants to kill everybody. So like you go into this fight, not really knowing what you're going to get. Are you going to get like this guy who is nice, a super mean guy? Um, and the way they portray his character was just, I thought was very convincing. Whereas like, he's very melancholy when the fight starts and it's, it's like, he feels like he has to do this, but he doesn't want to. Mm -hmm. And, um, this was the piece of music that I felt like was perfect for his character that really hammered that home that like he was performing what he thought was his duty, but it was not what he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And it was a fun fight to learn. Uh, even though it was difficult, I did enjoy learning how to dodge all those attacks and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So killed Asgore. I agree. He's an interesting character. I, he's likable, but at the same time, also very like clearly very powerful and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. when you're playing the first time, uh, did you go and see the room that has all the coffins in it? Yeah, I did. And that was like, um, really when I got to this end part, like the castle and the castle town and stuff, 
was where my expectation, like my view of my first playthrough of this game, like changed a little bit. And I was kind of because like, for the most part, it's a relatively like heartwarming story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you realize, yeah, he there's a room in his basement with like six coffins and he's killed six other humans before you and you're the seventh human he needs to like break the barrier and escape. You're like, oh, this is really kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah, it was like throughout the game. You're right. You are getting that conflicting information about like how he actually is. Is he this like lovable teddy bear or is he actually like dangerous as fuck and just going to destroy you? And Mm -hmm. I felt more inclined to believe that he was a peaceful we're going to be able to work this out type of thing at the end. And then I saw that room with all the coffins and I was like, oh, I guess not. Like, I guess I am going to have to kill this guy. Like he's going to definitely going to try to kill me. You get your, you get your answer through exploring. Somebody doesn't tell you. And I think that's very powerful. Yeah, it is good. It is good to find that out for yourself instead of having, you know, Asgore say it, which he does say it, but it's after you figured it out for yourself. Yeah. The last thing about the neutral route that I wanted to point out was after you beat Asgore, Flowey comes up and you have a, I don't remember the exact details on this because I didn't write it down because a uh, bad podcaster, but um, you fight Flowey. Flowey's fucking disgusting. The, like the design of it, like it, it's, it doesn't look like anything else in the game. It's a totally different art style altogether, like more realistic and gross than like the pixel art for everyone else. Yeah, it's it's striking how and like I said, this was the fight too where I was like, this is completely the one point where my expectations really were blown out of the water. Um, because yeah, Flowey's just like this little flower, but then uh I, I believe it goes like he absorbs the six human souls mm-hmm. and then just turns into this like it's not even possible to describe it. Like no. just go and like go and look it up. It's yeah. like this disgusting flesh tentacle monster with yeah, and it's, it's gross. just gross. <laughs> um it's it's absolutely nuts. And that that fight is very, very difficult. Um thankfully though, one the gimmick of that is like you're trying to save the six human souls. Mm-hmm. And each time you save one, you kind of get the opportunity to like start off at that point if you fail the fight. Uh so I like that. But yeah, that I've fought a lot of fucked up things in video games but yeah. man that's <laughs> that is one of the most disturbing things i've and just the music and yeah it's it's so visually different than anything else you encounter it's mm-hmm. you just you, you can't prepare for it <laughs> yeah and it has this thing where you're calling out for help uh during the fight which mm. is like a direct call back to something that happens at the end of earthbound i don't want to say too much in case someone hasn't played earthbound but that's another reference that like totally hit home for me because I just played Earthbound like six months ago. So really, really good. Um, this and like the Final Fantasy VI opera scene, a lot of times where like the game is wearing its influence on its sleeve, but it's not too much, you know? Right. It feels like it hits just right. It's just enough, yeah. Um, and then the interesting thing about this fight, uh, it, it, this is where really where you get the kind of information about, uh, I referenced it earlier in the episode about how saving and loading your game file is kind of built into the game world mm-hmm. um, because the game remembers your decisions. And so uh, Flowey tells you that, you know, he takes your save file away and he's like, I have the power to save now. Uh, I'm just going to save this and murder you over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, and you get a, this in a couple interactions if you do multiple playthrough with Sans, uh, where, where he's like, hey, like, didn't like you, you seem to know like what you're doing, like what's going on here where, 
um, the saving and loading mechanic is viewed as like manipulation of timelines in the game of Undertale. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was really cool the way they brought in like a a video game mechanic uh, into like the world of a game. And, you know, there are these beings that have this power to like go back at points in time or like read set points of time. And I just, you know, that's, that's where this shit starts to go. Like the kingdom hearts rabbit hole. And it's like, okay, like this is nuts. <laughs> did, um, let me ahead. ask you, like you played this on PC, right? Uh, no, I did not. I played oh, it on okay. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask if this actually does stuff with your save files, like other games that I don't want to spoil by saying what games they are, but, um, I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, on Switch, you have no access to your save files and stuff like that. So, right. Someone, uh, someone who played on PC, let us know. So that's all I got for the neutral route. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, just I, I think I wrote this in the pacifist route, but I think they they first mention it at the end of a neutral route where they're like, your XP doesn't stand for experience points; it stands for execution points. Yeah, I rolled my eyes pretty hard at that. <laughs> at, for Sometimes it's a little bit too. They had already, they had already made the point throughout the game that these are not heartless monsters that you're fighting. And I had already naturally decided to go nonviolent with the vast majority of the, the combat encounters in the game. So then at the end to be like execution points, I was like, okay, like I, I I got, I got this a couple (laughs) hours ago, you know, but maybe it's, maybe it would hit harder for someone who like played this in 2015 and didn't hear all this stuff just, you know, by osmosis through the years like me. Tough for me to say. Yeah, and this comes at a particular point in the game too. This is before you fight Asgore. Um you walk this very beautiful kind of like chapel stained glass mm-hmm. golden hallway yeah. and when you cross a pillar, you see a shadowy figure and it's Sands and he's there to judge the decisions yeah. that you've made throughout the game. And this is when you realize you're like, yo, Sans is not just this laid back dude. Like he's some kind of eldritch kind of <laughs> being yeah. that like watches time and space or something like that. The, the stuff around Sans is wild. I don't even want to dive yeah. into that, but um, yeah, he, he tells you the execution points. Um, The other one I rolled my eyes at too, was he tells you that your, uh, your abbreviation, your LV is love is your level of violence. Oh, level of violence. I thought it, st- yeah, thought it stood it stood for love. For. Yeah, but uh, level LOV, level oh. violence is what he abbreviated as. Yeah, yeah. I, I must have skimmed over that. Yeah, I was like, I get it. And, um, you know, I I think it kind of, it really hits that, you know, JRPG trope on the nose. It's like, yes, you have become this powerful teenager that can now kill God. But at what level of violence to the thousands of things you grinded and killed to get there beforehand? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, it's very on the nose. I, I understand why. Um, but I feel like. You know, the whole game, he he does such a good job of not expressly telling you to, like, like choose a option other than violence. For him to, like, spell it out so black and white at the end is just kind of like, well, okay. Like, we, we know. We're not stupid. It, it feels like <laughs> less for people like you and me and more for people who, like, somehow played the whole game but didn't get it. Like, it feels like a last-ditch effort to make sure that everybody understands when I think that if you didn't get this by the end. Well, actually, I don't want to say that you weren't paying attention because again, you and I have osmosed this game for years before we played it where lots right. of people did not have that happen. So maybe this did catch people by surprise. It's it's another thing if you're listening and you played Undertale 
soon after release. I'm curious to know how this landed for you. So another plug for the right. Tales from the Backlog Discord server where you can come in and <laughs> talk about that stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. Moving on to the uh, pacifist run. After you beat the neutral route, you're encouraged to start a new game. Flowey tells you what you have to do to go through is go through the game, don't kill everybody, finish it at level one, level of violence one. So. No execution points. No execution points, right. (laughs) So um, I did not find this to be difficult at all. I kind of worried like, if I'm not leveling up, I'm not increasing my hit points, et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't find this to be any more difficult than the neutral route, probably because the most difficult things in the game are the bosses and I'd already learned them. So mm-hmm. not so tough. I don't really have a lot of notes. Nothing really changes until the end as far as I experienced. Um, do, what about you? Did you notice anything different? Like, obviously the final boss and the ending is different, but no, I was I was like you was I was really worried because my mind has so, been so classically trained by by RPGs yeah. <laughs> to be like, level hey, like one. I'm going into boss fights. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I can't fight the end game boss at level one. Like, this is outrageous. Uh, although I know there are people that do level one runs and literally yeah. everything, but I'm not I'm not a sicko. Yeah, I was very surprised. And I wonder if it has something to do with the way the game's designed or something, because, yeah, I was like, well, if I only have 20 hit points, like one attack is just going to end me. But. I wonder if like the damage scales with like your level type of thing or like if it knows you're on the pacifist route and like because yeah you think 20 hit points is not a lot but you're you're able to take hits and make mistakes um but yeah like but by the time you do and I think that's why they encourage you to do the neutral route first Mm -hmm. to kind of learn the game because yeah once you go back to the pacifist route uh, which was what I did uh, I already knew a lot of like what the bosses did during like those shoot 'em up sections and kind of what to do to get them to stand down uh, for most part. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that makes the pacifist run through second uh, definitely an ideal way to play yeah. it. So as you go through it, again, nothing really changed until the Asgore fight. So I fought Asgore and it ended the same way as the neutral route. And at that point, I was like, mm-hmm. wait, what the fuck? Like, this is supposed to be pacifist. Like, I did everything right. I was using a guide to do a pacifist route just to make sure I didn't mess anything up when really it's not that complicated. Just literally don't kill anything and you're doing pacifist. So right. when I was forced to kill Asgore, I was like, wait, what the fuck? And then I looked it up in the guide and it says, Oh, you need to go back and hang out with all these characters. And I was like, that was kind of lame. Number one, I don't want to hang out with undying. <laughs> I don't want to hang out with what's his name? Papyrus. I don't, you know, I, I didn't love these characters to a level where I was like, I want to go hang out with you. You know, when Sans invites you to go eat at the diner, I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go hang out with Sans. I want to see what he has to say. Uh, so that was kind of lame. And I didn't know where Undyne's house was. So I had to look that up. It was, it was just like not a very fun part of the game. And by this point, this is like eight hours of Undertale. I was starting to get tired of it. And I was like, I just want to get, I want to see the ending and get it over with. So not a, 
huge fan of this. I felt similarly because uh, like, yeah, I was like, oh, I, I I knew what the pacifist ending boss was before I played oh. it. So like I knew I was like, OK, if I hit this boss or I hit this, uh, which we're going to talk about in a second, I'll know I'm on the pacifist ending. So, yeah, when I had to go back and do this, I was like, you know, I was like, OK, I get what they're trying to do. And like they want you to have like some of those loose ends tied up for those characters, because um, another theme that I felt like that Toby Fox was trying to tell was. Um, I mentioned it, I think in the non-spoiler section, but, uh, how never to like judge a book by its cover, like no matter what face somebody's putting on, that might be like, not be what their true feelings mm-hmm. are. And so they're trying to like elaborate on that a little bit for those characters, like, uh, Undyne and Alphys, like go on a date and, and stuff like that. So the show a little bit more human side of these characters, like, I get that. Um, if you're really, really, really into the characters, like the story in the world of Undertale, I think that's probably really rewarding mm-hmm. for you. But yeah, like you said, I was into my second playthrough. I played the neutral and pacifist back to back. Yeah, same. This was like six hours, like six, seven, like eight hours of Undertale on top of like the five or six hours I already did. So I'm just kind of like, all right, like I know <laughs> like what yeah. this is. Like I, I know where this goes. Like just like get me Let's to that. Let's get this moving. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, also, I, like I said before, in the neutral route, I did not like Alphys as a character. I didn't find them charming. Mm. I was just very annoyed by everything they were doing. <laughs> so when I was like, I have to go hang out with Alphys, I was like, oh, all right, grip my teeth and just kind of get through this. Not like this is some difficult real life situation or something, you know, but right, right. I was like, <laughs> like you're forced to go hang out with people. You're like, I yeah. guess uh. I was like, okay, the next 15 <laughs> minutes are not going to be so enjoyable. We'll just get through it so you can finish the game. But uh, when you go back to hang out with Alphys, Alphys is gone and there's an opening to what's called the true lab. Oh yeah. And this was like unex- unexpectedly like great. I don't love like the dungeons in this game compared to a lot of RPGs. But this one was like, it was like a horror level, like a 16-bit horror game. And I was into it. Like, I was like, not scared, scared, but I was a little bit scared of like what was going on down there because it's real creepy and you got to go around and get these keys and stuff like that. Um, I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. And this is really where, like I said, the game does a good job of like giving you that surface level lore and then they that this was completely unexpected. They just dove into it yeah. so hard. So yeah, the implication was being that, um, and this is where you start to uncover the story of like what happened to Asgore and his wife, Toriel, and they had a son and they actually adopted a human son. And like, this is kind of where that story comes in. Um, it being like the King's son, whose name's Asriel mm-hmm. and the human that fell down there, which was Chara, um, Char got sick and basically died was the story, mm-hmm. I believe. And um, his last wish or their last wish was to see the flowers in, the, in their home village before they, you know, before they died. And um, the human died like pretty much right away. I believe the human's name is Char, I believe. And um, Asriel takes the human back to the surface and the villagers see him. They think Asriel killed the human. So they basically beat the shit out of him and then he dies yeah. too. So but basically both of the children of the king and queen are like gone. Um, and this is what leads Alphys to experiment with like the nature of a soul. She finds out that like the essence that runs the soul is called determination. So the whole time that you've been saving in the game is telling you you're filled with determination. You know, that's literally like the power inside like your soul. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, I was so shocked when I was like reading, I'm like, this simple game has all this so much deeper yeah. lore attached to it. Like it was, it, and the, the level and the way it was designed and the abominations that you fight and run into in the lab and you discover that 
these were creatures that Alphys like experimented on mm-hmm. and tried to inject termination into like people's souls and like bring people back to life. And it was just these abominations. And she experimented like on people that were like dying or like family members. And she's like, how do I tell these people that I've just messed up their family? Um, so yeah, it, it goes from like, it takes a complete 180 and you're just like, whoa, this is insane. Yeah. <laughs> and so earlier when I said like that, the game introduces these plot threads and these character threads and they all just get tied up so neatly. Like it seems like everything they introduce, even down to the phrase you're filled with determination souls and everything like mm-hmm. all of those things have like really satisfying uh, conclusions. And I was into this um, like these revelations that you found down here too. And like there was something in the, in the lore too about how, a human soul is like much, much, much more powerful than a monster's soul. And that's mm, yeah. the reason why like you're a little kid in this game and you're going up against these monsters, but these monsters, if you're trying to kill them, the monsters really have no chance against you because humans are just right. so much more powerful. And they're doing these experiments, right? To try to like enhance a monster's soul. Is that what they're trying to do? Something like that. That's kind of the gist I got. And I, and I think the main motivating thing, too, was um, when Azrael, the king's son, like, came back to the castle and died, he, like, turned into dust and covered the king's, uh, like, flower garden. And then these golden flowers started growing. And that's when you're like, oh, shit, we know a piece of shit golden flower. Yeah. It's it's flowy. And you discover that, like, Alphys, like, injected determination into the flower and, like the king's son Azrael is actually flowy and like all this crazy shit. And you're just like, Oh my God, like that's like, who'd have thought like this, this tiny little flower has been haunting you the whole time is like actually like a really relevant, important piece of the story. Like it's yeah. crazy. So as, uh, as we're going through that, I was Googling a little bit of lore about uh, Azrael and Chara. And uh, unfortunately I found some shipping fan fiction for the two of them. So I'm going to stop Googling. Oh yep. no. Safe search yep. <laughs> on. <laughs> uh, no. So I enjoyed that. I as you're going through the game also you get kind of hints that um there's something that happened that caused uh Asgore's wife to leave. And mm-hmm. I always kind of thought maybe because I was just so accustomed to the game really neatly wrapping up all of these like subplots, I kind of thought in my head maybe that's Toriel. Um and so as you go through here, you also see, um, I think it's in Asgore's house. There's like a recipe for butterscotch pie or something like that. Uh, whereas earlier yeah. in the game, Toriel had asked you like, do you like butterscotch or do you like cinnamon? Cinnamon, butterscotch. I'll take both, by the way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> both yeah. delicious. <laughs> so then at the end of the pacifist route, when you're fighting Asgore, again, at the beginning of it, you're forced to fight, but... Toriel stops in and stops the fight, um, assuming you've been doing all the pacifist stuff uh, correctly. So I enjoyed that. Then Flowey comes up again. You have to fight Flowey again. And this is another gimmicky type thing where your friends are trying to help, but they, they don't really stand a chance against Flowey. So you go through this thing where one by one, you need to save your friends, save all the side characters by using what you know about them like throughout the game. And this is probably tied into making you go to hang out with all of them. Um, so it does come back. You didn't go hang out with them for nothing, but right. 
I kind of like this part, and I can imagine a world where I really connected with more of the characters, and I was like, yeah, let me use what I know about my best friends to to finish this fight. It was kind of fun. And and this is the reveal, too. This is where the reveal is, because, again, Flowey basically takes the six human souls and, like, all the monster souls, um, and that's when he it's revealed he turns into... Uh, Azrael, who looks like the child of of Toriel and and Asgore, mm-hmm. and that's when you see it. But then he like transforms into this just incredibly like the only thing I could think of when like I saw the imagery was like, yo, this is like Goathead Satan looking stuff. Like that's <laughs> that's what I thought of when I saw it because um it's this floating like goat type character like how Toriel and Asgore are um and and this fight just you know I thought. I still think the the photoshopped terrifying flowey fight is just the most nightmarish fuel mm-hmm. in the game. Um, but again, for, to go to, from that to this fight, and it's like, oh, like now you're fighting Azrael, who basically, if you don't stop him, has the power to just wipe out all of creation. Uh, and oh, dude, the song in this fight, absolutely, uh, hopes and dreams, I believe it is, is it's mm-hmm. so good. It just doing this fight, just jamming out to that song. I was like, fuck yes, like let's go. It was so yeah. good. But um, yeah, to kind of have that reveal where it's like the the king and and Toriel's son and like the, his whole point is like uh he's been living as flowy but he hasn't been able to feel any emotion and he's basically just been using save states to like experience every iteration of the world and every possible outcome and what happens if he saves everyone what happens if he kills everyone what happens if he does this yeah. or that and um i i just thought that was incredibly cool concept to, to yeah. play with and i'm glad that you remembered that stuff because i remember thinking in the moment like oh that's pretty interesting there's a lot of like a lot of stuff that flowey says and like says that they did that if you stop and think about it for a second you're like mm, that's pretty fucked up yep um and yeah. i enjoyed reading that but i did not uh remember it so i'm glad that you brought that up mm. so that's the pacifist route i really enjoy the ending uh, for that where you walk outside together that feels like the real ending for the game. And I know that there are many more endings, but to me, that feels like the real ending. Uh, you walk outside together. Someone says something to the effect of like, we need an ambassador to talk to the humans. Like, why don't you do that? Dave, Eric, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Papyrus is like, okay, I'll go do it. And he runs off and you're like, <laughs> kind of like a sitcom thing where everyone's like, oh, Papyrus. And just knowing what I know about the humans, I'm like, he's going to die for sure. Yeah. Like, he's just run straight to his death. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. there's a very sweet moment at the end when um, Toriel is like, you know, so what are you going to do now? And you can say, like, I have things to do or I want to stay here with you. And by that point, I was like, I don't know anything about this human's, like, real family, but Toriel seems pretty cool. I'll, I'll stay there yeah. with her. Yeah. It was real yeah, sweet. I chose to do that too. Yeah, I was like, I, by this by this point, and just in general, living through what we've lived through the past few years too, I was like, yo, fuck humans. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I would stay with the monsters. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, that was I've the ending of this pacifist route kind of brought me to tears too because uh, the, it hit hard with the emotion because um, you finally get to see Azrael in like his kid form again, like he's just becomes like a normal kid and he's like, uh, he lets all the souls go and he's like hey, like, I'm going to disappear now. Like, I can't stay here. And I was just like, oh, that's... And at the end, you just, like, choose to... You can choose to forgive him or not, I think, and give him a hug. And I did. I forgave him and gave him a hug. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is, like, really tender and sad that yeah. he has to disappear now. Like, he did a lot of messed up stuff, and I hate Flowey, but I still felt bad for him. Yeah. So. Yeah. It It's interesting how going through the game for 10 hours up to this point, I didn't really feel a whole lot of, like, emotion throughout the game not really at the end of the 
passive or the end of the neutral route, not really with many character moments throughout the game, with the exception of like the, the things you learn in the true lab um, in the pacifist way. But the ending mm-hmm. of the pacifist, it's it just interesting that like for 10 hours, this game did not really elicit any kind of emotional reaction from me. And then at the end of the pacifist route, it's suddenly like, oh, all my best friends when just a couple hours earlier, I was like, I don't want to hang out with Undyne. Like, let me just ignore <laughs> that, you know? Interesting in that way. Yeah, I definitely agree. one left to talk about dave and that's the 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 most unsettling one (laughs) yes so uh in the genocide route first of all i uh, just straight up didn't want to play undertale anymore so for a while (laughs) i just like put this off and i was like okay the week before eric and i record this i will attempt the genocide route like i finished the game about a month ago um and then this week i was like let me fire up try the genocide way so I started it up and the main menu did not have a new game option or anything. It was just continue from the point right before the ending of the pacifist route. So I was like, okay, what the fuck? So I hopped in the discord server and asked some people like, what do I have to do? Then by the time I got answers for what to do, I was like, I don't want to play undertale anymore. So I watched it on, <laughs> I watched a let's play of the genocide route on YouTube. Just, First of all, watching that, I'm glad I didn't try it because it seems um, not like fucked up, like I'd be sad I'm killing my friends, although I might feel differently if I was actually doing it, but it looks really hard. And especially like the fight, some of the fights later in the route looked really fucking difficult and I don't think I would have been able to beat it. Uh, yeah, I can. Um, I, I went through that pain in that journey. So uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can I can attest to that. Okay. The genocide route is cool because it. it actually does significantly change the story and the way you interact with the world um so basically to get on the genocide route is in each area you have random encounters uh, and the more monsters that you kill in the random encounters the less frequent they become and eventually to a point where if you kill enough anytime you get in a random encounter you'll just get a text box that says but no one showed up right no one was there Mm -hmm. and at that point you've killed every monster in the zone and you have to do that for each of the zones that you go to. And so there's a finite, it, it's immediately to establishing there's a finite amount of creatures that live down here and you're just basically murdering them all. Yeah. And if you do that in the ruins and kill Toriel, that's when you're on the genocide route. And Flowey's like, yeah, like he's super jazzed after <laughs> that. He's like, yeah, he's like, let's go kill everybody. Like, this is great. Like, he's like, this is the most fun I've had. I'm like, calm down flowey like please yeah i'm very uncomfortable and uh it's after that interaction when you like cross the bridge and you meet sans and papyrus for the first time especially sans um he knows what's going on and what you've done and sans is normally like the laid-back dude but 
uh, there's one line where he says, hey, he's like, I know what you're doing. And he's like, if you stay on this path and the the like eyeballs go out of his sockets, so they're just blank, empty sockets. He's like, you're going to have a bad time. And you're like, oh, no. Yeah, because <laughs> like, up until now, Sans has been he's been like the best buddy type character there. There's not yes. like gave off the appearance that there's not a violent bone in his body. Nice pun, no pun intended. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, to hear him say that you're like, yo, this is, this is a guy that I've been buds with through this whole playthroughs. And now he's basically telling me you're going to have a bad time. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm not going to yeah. enjoy this at all. Am I? Um, and so that's when you really notice that this run is really messed up because when you, Normally go into the town, which I believe is called Snowden. Yeah. Uh, not to be confused with Notorious Leaker Edward Snowden. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's like a thing there, but uh, <laughs> normally when you go into that town, it's pretty lively. There's a lot of characters like, so you can talk to. When you go into that town in the genocide run, it is empty. Yep. There's nobody in the streets. They've all run um, away. You go into, yeah. You go into people's houses or shops and there's like, take what you want. Like, please don't kill my family. And you're just like, this is terrible. Yeah. That was one of the first things I noticed uh, when I was watching it. The other thing I noticed is that I thought it would be really difficult, all the boss fights, because you'd have to fight. Whereas mm-hmm. a lot of in the other ways you would you could get through it. Like you said, even going nonviolently is quicker for some of these bosses than fighting them. But most of them die in one hit when you're on the genocide route. Like, yeah. especially things that you thought were going to be really difficult. Like you kill Toriel in one hit. You kill, as far as I, if I remember right, you kill Undyne in one hit. Uh, maybe Undyne come. You kill Undyne in one hit, and then Undyne comes back in like a superpowered form, and you have to fight her, right? Yeah, she becomes like, uh, and that fight is particularly interesting because that that sequence you have like a little annoying dinosaur kid that like follows yeah. you around, uh, who always like falls on his face, and um, like you turn to kill him, and I was just like, this is not. I'm not okay with this. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> but I'm like, I'm on the genocide route, so I have to do it. And you go to try and kill him, and that's when Undyne jumps in and like saves him. Um, and then that sequence with her in particular, I found really interesting because, um, I was kind of watching a couple analysis videos about like the genocide route. Um, you know, she tells you that like, she feels like all the hopes and dreams of like the entire world, like on her shoulders. She's like, if I don't stop you here, like you're going to just kill everyone and everything. And, um, one of the points that somebody made was that she tells you and it's like, listen, human, or she's like, you're not human. Like whatever you are, like I have to stop you. Yeah whatever you are and she's addressing not the character but like you the player mm-hmm. like i have to stop you from advancing any further in this game otherwise you're just going to cause pain and suffering and i was like that's actually kind of cool that they that you draw that connection yeah um, but yeah that that you're fighting like the the powered up hero version and that undyne fight is significantly more difficult mm-hmm. uh, on the genocide route for sure yeah and earlier i said like some of the characters roles in the story change depending on what you're doing and so like mm-hmm. on the neutral route or on the pacifist route undyne is her role is the antagonist she's trying to kill humans to collect souls to let the monsters out if you're doing the path or you're doing the genocide route undyne is like the last hope for monsters basically right like undyne is the good you know the hero you're the antagonist now and the game doesn't like straight up tell you in that way except like undyne has this you know heroic courageous dialogue but this is something that you just kind of like oh right like in this story of the monsters fighting against the evil force undyne is the hero and you're the bad person so 
that was cool. I like how that was handled. So anything else that you found interesting from the genocide route? I mean, I think uh, I have to touch on the you get to the end, right? right. So the, the Metaton fight is different as well. Um, you fight Metaton Neo, which is just like an alternate harder version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you just go through the game killing everyone. I don't even think uh, you run into Alphys in the genocide run. I think it's just no, Alphys is, is run away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that character is like completely gone. And, um, yeah, the, the end of that game, uh, is when you get again to that long golden hallway scene and Sans is there mm-hmm. uh, instead of this time Sans judging you and just letting you go by, uh, like he gives you one last chance to like turn back yeah. and you walk forward and, and he's like, all right, I guess we're doing this. And you're just like, oh no, I have made terrible mistakes. I actually remember <laughs> this exactly from the video I watched. Sans says, if you take one step forward, then it's on. And then you regain yeah. control of your character and you take one step forward and he's like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't want to, but you brought this on yourself. Yeah. And um, this is when Megalovania yeah, having, plays, right? This is when Megalovania plays. Probably, I would say any, anything out of anything that came out of this game, this fight against Sans and Megalovania is probably like the biggest, most culturally widely known thing that happened. Yeah. And, uh, for a good reason, uh, this is one of the most difficult boss anythings I've ever done in video games. Yeah. This fight is so unbelievably difficult. It looks the margin for error, yeah, <laughs> yeah the, mar- the margin for error is is so small. And basically, what you do is like you're trying to kill Sands, but all of your attacks, no matter if you land them perfectly, miss because it is in this point driven home that. Sans is not an average monster. He is right. some kind of eldritch, godly being that watches. I, I don't even know what his role is, but he <laughs> he watches over the world or, or something like that. And um, so much so that as this fight progressive, he starts manipulating and messing with time and the screen jumps around and all this other stuff. And it's it's absolutely with Megalovania playing in the back, just uh, un, this is nuts. It's so nuts and it's so difficult. It, t- it probably took me two hours to, to do the yeah. first when I did it. And I have no desire to ever, 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 ever do it again. <laughs> yeah. The let's play that I was watching had like, so the person that was doing it was really good at the game. They went through the first, so this, this let's play was like two hours, 45 minutes or whatever. And they went through the first two and a half hours. I don't think anything hit them like at all. And I was like, okay, cool. And then Right. They went and stocked up on healing items before Sans. And I was like, huh, interesting. It's tough. And they used all the healing items in the Sans fight. Like, this is the point where, you know, I was starting to think, like, watching it through, I was starting to think, like, hey, you could have done this. Like, you're not, you know, you you play a lot of video games. You could have done this. And I saw this fight and I was like, no, I'm glad I watched this. This looks, this looks brutal. <laughs> It was. I, I I guess I just was like, yeah. I have to do this. I have to finish it. And yeah, I too, I use every single last one of, of my healing items to, to finish that fight. Um, it really is a culmination of a- anything that you learned yeah. up to that point is used in that fight. And you and it like just the attacks that he does, all the different patterns, the hearts change color, all, all that stuff. And it's it's crazy um i can't imagine so i i knew that this fight was like this before i went in um i would have liked to experience this fight without knowing that because i bet that 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 in this game is probably the biggest subversion of all where you're like you know you know stands is a super chill guy and he just yeah. 
ends up being the hardest I like boss how in the game. His, like, his first nuts. attack is Absolutely like crazy. wildly difficult too. And he does like this crazy, crazy attack right at yeah. the beginning of the fight. And then he says like, hey, would you think I'm going to save that for later? Like use my best attack first. I thought that <laughs> yeah. was pretty funny. Again, shattering, shattering the RPG trope of saving the bad guy's strongest attack for last. He's like, no, why wouldn't I lead with the strongest possible thing I have to try and stop you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that. It's good. It, part of me is like, you know, Megalovania is like one of the best songs in the game. Probably definitely the most famous song in the game. Yeah. Definitely. Part of me is like kind of wish that was in like all three ways, all three routes, but it is kind of like a special treat for someone who's gotten this long into the game. And, you know, I can always go on YouTube and watch it. It's not like I can't experience this song because uh, it is an excellent song. Yeah. And uh, somebody made a good point too of one of the videos I was watching. It's like, you know, your Toby Fox intended the way to play the game is like peacefully or like to try and resolve conflict without violence. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the punishment for pushing the game so far for choosing violence is this is this is like what you get. And I kind of like that sentiment where it's like he didn't intend it to be played this way, but he put the option in there to play it. And he's like, all right, if you're going to play like all the other regular RPGs, like you're going to feel terrible about it. And this incredible challenge is waiting for you at the end. (laughs) Yeah. So there was a, I waited to say this until the spoiler section, uh, because I didn't want to get too deep into this for people who haven't played, but there is a criticism out there of people who say like, you know, I don't like undertale because I don't want a game where like I I don't like Undertale because when I play games I'm not thinking I don't want to I want to be friends with the monsters I don't want to kill them and so Undertale doesn't work for me in that way I've heard criticism like that where I think Undertale like actually does a really good job of you know letting you play the way you want there's there's no one telling you like hey don't kill that monster this mm. monsters are friends there's no one who says that to you it's kind of naturally given to you throughout like I said, the mechanics of it would naturally steer you toward a nonviolent way, but then also you immediately see consequences for your actions in a way that a lot of video games don't do. And except for the part where it's like, you know, execution points, it never <laughs> felt really ham fisted in that way. It felt like a pretty natural thing. And when, you know, maybe Flowey comes up, like you said earlier, and says, Hey, I know what you did, or me accidentally killing Toriel and I immediately thought like, wait, I didn't want to kill her. You know, I think the game does a good job of naturally, you know, making you feel the ways that it wants you to feel. I was worried that it would be too on the nose about that. You know, don't kill monsters. Monsters are friends, you know, but it's not really like that. So I was expecting to have this like violence versus nonviolence or like the, you know, the genocide, see the consequences of your actions I was expecting to like not connect with that because I don't play video games and wish I could be friends with the monsters. That's not how I feel when I play any video game really. But I do think that this game does enough like like small things throughout the game to like make you feel that naturally instead of sometimes games will let you play the way you want. And then at the very end, they'll be like, you're such a monster. How could you do this? And stuff like, it's like, well, give me a choice. Yeah. It's a video game. So fuck you. Like if, if someone like at the end of an uncharted game 
was like, how many people have you killed, Nathan Drake? You know, but it's like, you have to kill the people to get through the game. So whatever. But Undertale does a really good job of like setting all these things up and letting you feel it kind of naturally. And the way that the genocide route plays out, I think is really cool. Like how you slowly figure out like, except, all right, this is going to be a roundabout way to get to this, but like (laughs) you've, when you do a genocide route, the average person is probably going to do what I did Start the start the first playthrough, kill a couple of monsters, start feeling like either, oh, you know, I killed that fruit that cute frog, that, you know, maybe I won't kill the next one. Or they'll be like me and you and be like, it's not really fun to kill things in this game. And so they'll naturally go nonviolent. So I feel like most people who are gonna play through the genocide route have done the first two ways first before mm-hmm. they do that. And so they're intimately familiar with the themes of the game. I don't know that so many people are going to go through and do genocide on their first playthrough, even if they know how to, because even if you kill everything that comes up randomly, you're not going to get on the genocide track because you're not going to get enough random encounters. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You literally have to kill everything in every zone. (laughs) Yeah. So this feels like the genocide route is interesting in the way that it's, it's, it's not really playing with you as like a, a, a gamer killing stuff as much as it's like a different way for you to experience this game i feel like like it's a totally different game almost whereas like the first two you are kind of heroic sometimes but most of the time you're just trying to escape that's all you're trying to do now in this route you've made the deliberate choice i'm going to kill everything the game's going to adjust to what i'm doing and this is a different story that you're playing through here yeah, and having played it too, I got to say that uh, I certainly have no qualms about killing things in video games. I, I yeah. don't feel very <laughs> much remorse. Uh, most of the times when uh, I feel like games present you with an option to either like stealth buy or kill, uh, to me, killing just seems like a more... I, I'm, not, I'm not a terrible person, I swear, but like um, just the murder path seems like the easiest path of resistance forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't generally feel bad about defeating enemies or killing things um the genocide route does a lot of little things where as you're playing through it like i genuinely felt like i was a terrible human being and by the end of it like i felt really bad like i felt terrible i was like Mm -hmm. how could i do all these things it's and the way it ends is kind of messed up like the ending of the genocide route is fucking terrifying uh just very unsettling and um but i just it hammers home the theme so well of like you're actually the monster in this story, in this path. Mm-hmm. You're not the hero. Like everyone's afraid of you. You're making terrible choices. And it did a good job of making me, like I said, I just expected to play through it and be, just be like an RPG and be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to kill all the monsters and get the end or whatever. But yeah. by the end, I was like, from the way that the random encounters diminish to the ominous music that plays when an area is clear, you know, you don't mm-hmm. see Alphys, uh, towns are empty, people are afraid of you, that you just, it, it it hits it hit me and it pulled on my heartstrings really really more than I thought it was going to. Yeah, and there are lots of games where you make that realization throughout the game that you're the villain. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of games that do that and games that do it really really well. But this one, it feels like you know from the beginning, in order to get this, you have to make that decision that I am going to be this you know murderous psycho and kill everything. 
And then later on, like you've already made the choice to be a villain in this, but then I like how the characters adjust like their roles in the story to fit you being the villain. Now, Undyne is not an antagonist. Undyne is the hero of the monsters. Mm-hmm. You're the antagonist. And I like how they pull that off. It's just, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit interesting. And I, I just wonder, like, did they have to make the requirements for the genocide route so strict that you have to kill more random encounters than you would naturally get going through the level? Because I I think the random encounters are... Like both times I played, it felt like they hit in the same spot where if I left a room and came back, they would pop up again in the same spot. Right. And I, I wonder if making you go back through and like forcing you to like deliberately seek out more things to kill and not just kill everything that naturally came to you. I wonder if that's necessary for this to hit home because I do like the result of it. It just means that no one's going to like stumble into this, you know? Right. No one's going to play this game like a regular RPG and then realize they're on the genocide path because you should realize that this isn't a game that requires you to go grind to defeat really anything. Right. So I don't know, just kind of talking my way through it's thematically very good that you need to go purposely kill everything and like more things than naturally pop up. Right. I wonder if it would have been more effective if we would have played it closer to release and, kind of you would have had to discover that naturally i feel like you would have had to it would have taken a very old school minded rpg player to be like yeah all right i'm gonna grind this first area for levels before i move on and then all of a sudden you know you you stumble across there are no more random encounters because you've killed everything like i feel like Mm -hmm. discovering it naturally like that would have been pretty cool and pretty effective but it was so in the zeitgeist that was just that it was impossible to do that anymore like you know what you have to do now that's true yeah. Is it is it even possible to do genocide on your first playthrough, like from the very beginning? Uh, that I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure. Because I don't know. When you're in the menu, after you've done a pacifist route, you have the option to do a true reset. And right. I don't know if that factory resets the game, basically, back to like the state it was when you first bought it. Because I think I heard that you can't do a pacifist playthrough on your first playthrough. Is that right? Like you I might have to I've do a neutral that. route first. I think I think I've heard that. Yeah. Um. Even even if you do do the pacifist route, I think that you just get the neutral ending. Okay. And then then you have to do the pacifist route. Yeah. I'm not. There are based on my like watching and perusings today in the last couple of days. Um. There are people who have done like 30, 40 playthroughs of this game and still gotten like slightly tweaked things that happen throughout the story. So I'm not sure. Like what the order of like how you're supposed to play them or like what happens if you play them differently. I'm I'm not, that's, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. Okay. So according to a quick uh, Google on the undertale wiki, genocide requires no prerequisite playthroughs, uh, but the pacifist does. So you're right. Someone who is playing this with a very old school JRPG mentality of like, play this grind up for levels before you go into the next thing. Uh, they could stumble on this, I suppose. Right. It's just when the random encounters start to decrease, it would take like extra, you know, motivation to keep going through that. Right. So that is, it is um, pretty interesting. Yeah. A lot of thoughts about it. it it's an interesting, um, interesting way to play and an interesting way to, a lot goes into the decision to play it that way. It's, it's very good. I just, 
again, this is someone something that someone listening who played this game closer to launch and didn't know about all of this. Is this something that you came across naturally or is it something that you heard about and thought like there are three routes to play in this game. I need to do all three of them. Or is this something where you're like, holy shit, I was just playing Undertale and suddenly it changed like that into this right. dark uh, thing. Yeah, because as we as we know it now, and a, a joke I always tell my dogs when they're misbehaving, I'm, I tell them like, don't choose violence today. Um, <laughs> you have to choose violence yeah. to get the genocide route. You have to basically commit to violence or and, and that's the only way. So, yeah, I would be curious to see anybody that had those experiences if, if you did kind of stumble upon it naturally or how that I'd be very curious to talk to somebody like that and just to kind of see what it was like. Yeah. So uh, you said there was something interesting about the ending that you wanted to talk about. So what do you got? Uh, yeah, pretty much the way that ending works is by the time you get to Asgore and get to the end with Flowey, um, you are such a former shell monster of yourself. Mm -hmm. uh that even flowey is terrified of you like flowey is just like you're a terrible person don't kill me please like i i'll we'll be friends like i want to be with you uh absolutely terrifying and um you what happens is you end up just killing flowey in in cold blood just cutting him down you don't even have to do that fight and um the way that game ends is another child appears before you and is implied that this child is chara the first child that died Mm -hmm. And basically it's very unsettling because he makes this face and is just like, you know, talks about like wiping out the world or whatever it is he talks about. And he basically like does a slash tag and your screens go all nine, 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 like all the way across it. And then it just mm -hmm. goes black and it's, it's over. You're done. Ooh. And that's, that's how the game ends. And it's, you're just like, Oh, okay. Like that's very, and that's a very like cryptic. I think of all the endings, the genocide ending is like the most cryptic. It requires the most like diving into the lore of undertale um, to the point where like, I didn't even really understand what is the significance <laughs> of that. Like what, why did this demon child of the King and queen, like come back and like destroy, kill me or destroy the universe or whatever it did that it did. Like, yeah, it's very unsettling. Yeah, totally. I remember seeing that in the let's play, and just being like, oh, oh, that's how it ends. Like, I had kind of lost track of this, like, plot thread with Asriel and Chara. But, yeah, like, the implication is that s someone has come to put you down, like, to stop your reign of terror there. Like, the only, obviously, the monsters are no match for you. So the only thing that could be a match for you is another human. Is that what's going on there? I, I, maybe, I think so. But just, just by the face and the way Chara talks, it, like, I don't know if it's a living entity at this point. I, I don't mm -hmm. really. Um, this is where, like, the lore of Undertale gets pretty deep and complex. So I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah. Like in all of everything that I kind of watched, just kind of brush up on it. And um, like you said, we're not trying to, like, deep dive or get a Ph.D. in the lore of Undertale. Right. Um, yeah. I'm not really sure, like, what the significance of that run is um, other than, yeah, you could interpret it that way that, like, you're literally so evil and so terrible and so unstoppable that it would just take something equally or greater uh, terrifying wise to come and just stop you. And that's like literally the only course that the game can take to just stop you from being as terrible a person as you are. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. that's the message, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's never the goal of this show to like, you, like you said, do a PhD in the lore of whatever game we're talking about. <laughs> but it is interesting uh, that it ends so abruptly and so, um, you know, surprisingly. Like you, yeah. you 
get to that point and you think, well, I beat Sans, I killed Flowey, there's nothing left, nothing can take me on, and then something, you know, hits 99,999 damage on you and kills you like that is pretty interesting. And I like how abrupt it is, and you're like, whoa, what was that? Yeah, I think too, I think it works though because... Uh, I like that they didn't have a fight after the Sands fight. I think that's a perfect yeah. bookend to that run just because that fight is so just insane and iconic. So I think to do anything with like Asgore or Flowey fight or even fighting Chara at that point, uh, I think it does a good job of driving it home. It's like, hey, I just went through this ridiculous boss fight with this ridiculously powerful thing and this terrifying demon child comes along and kills me in one hit. Like that's mm-hmm. that's pretty messed up. <laughs> yeah. One last subversion, perhaps. Yes, perhaps. Yeah. Well done, Toby. Yeah. So this has been good. Good uh good episode. And I appreciate your insight on the genocide run because like I said, like I didn't actually experience it and some of that lore had lost me a little bit, like I I had forgotten about some of the characters there. So I appreciate that. This has been a good time, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Dave, thanks for having me again, man. And uh I try to be as knowledgeable as I can coming in. Um, so I hope that, and I hope I didn't mess something up because if I did, uh, then the insane Undertale fandom will come for us. That is a guarantee. Uh, so I'll have to like light the beacons or something to signal you if that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not professional Undertale players. We're not professional podcasters. We're just, you know, two dudes <laughs> who have podcasts talking about a game we played. So I think we did a really good job of that. I yeah. really enjoyed this conversation, man. Yeah, no, it was it was a great conversation. I was looking forward to this one for a while. On and like I said, yeah. I was excited because I feel like we both had a bit of a unique uh, perspective on it, having played it so late. And I think it definitely delivered. Yeah, for sure. So everybody, thank you for listening. One more plug for the Unlockables podcast. You will not regret your time listening to that. Thank you so much, and stay tuned next week for the next game that comes out of the backlog. <laughs>